Fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Mahern and joining me on this episode, he's a survivor. He's not going to give up. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is a man that isn't going to stop. He's going to work harder. It's Josh Wise. <laughs> Hello. Two men that will keep on surviving. Oh yeah, absolutely. We are here to talk about video games as well. Uh, one specifically, but before we get onto that, we need to get into the right headspace of when this game came out. And this rarely happens. We've actually missed <laughs> the anniversary because we were originally going to do a different game. Again, you don't need to know. It doesn't matter. We'll do that game at a different time. <laughs> but yeah, Josh Wise had the suggestion of this game. We were like, you know what? Let's do it. So anniversary doesn't entirely line up but who cares because tonight we're going to party regardless and we are going to party like it's March March 5th 5th, 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 2013 so you know you know 10 10 years years and and however many many, many, months it doesn't matter matter. it's fine fine, 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 fine. so yeah let us get into the right headspace by delving into what was happening in and around the 5th of March 2013 in this Fair world of ours. And I'll very rarely get to say this, so I have to take the opportunity here. Jorge Mario Bergoglio was elected as the new Pope about a week after the game we're talking about today. And that man is better known as Pope Francis. Oh. And towards the end of the month, Justin Bieber had his pet monkey confiscated at a German airport <laughs> after touching down in the country for tour dates. He didn't have the right paperwork, so they took the monkey off him. Oh dear. Do you get it back? Well, follow up on the story. Bieber never went back to collect the monkey. What a prick. Oh, one arsehole. So it was transferred to a zoo months later. Maybe it'll be happier at the zoo, to be honest, if it's got other little monkey fellas to knock about with or something. That's terrible. In music, astonishingly, Blurred Lines by... No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Still at the top. I'm joking. Uh, no, we were so innocent at this point in the year. We didn't know what was right around the corner in music. But in the UK, a giant hit from a giant act, at least at this time. It was Justin Timberlake with Mirrors. In the States, an artist called Bauer was in the top spot. You might know that name, but you will know the song. It was Harlem Shake. Oh, God. Yeah, everyone was doing the Harlem Shake from your next door neighbor to Hillary Clinton. I remember LeBron James did it with the Miami Heat team while they were on the plane. It was a real thing, like like everyone was doing it, wasn't it? In movies, when we were going to the cinema and not doing the Harlem Shake mm. in America, topping the box office was a fantasy film called Jack the Giant Slayer. Oh, oh yeah. God, yeah, I know absolutely nothing about it. Apparently, based on Jack and the Beanstalk, but a more aggressive Jack. Jack is more of a survivor in that story. Gritty, gritty Jack. <laughs> the number one movie in the UK was 
Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Is that Hawkeye Man? It was. It was Hawkeye Man and Gemma Arterton. God, yeah. Basically, at the cinema, it was fairy tales. But yes, gritty. Nasty. <laughs> so yeah, that's what was happening in and around the world then. So now it's time to tell you about the game we're going to be talking about today in a segment we like to call Back of the Box. Today, the game we're talking about is amongst certain circles called Tomb Raider 2013. But it is actually just called Tomb Raider. Yeah. And it is a coming of age story where... The young woman comes of age by murdering a lot of people on an island that has really bad weather. Mm. This one came out on PC, PS3 and Xbox 360 on the 5th of March 2013. And a definitive edition came out just under a year later in late January 2014 on PC, PS3 and Xbox 360. And then, I mean, look at some of the things that this came to. Well, it came to Linux in April of 2016. It came to Shield TV (laughs) in March 2017. And then it came to Stadia in November 2019. Then to look at the back of the physical box and what we're looking at here is the back of the UK PC case, but I would imagine it's probably the same for the others. And it pretty much is hammering home the tagline of this game up at the very top of the back of the box. It says, A survivor is born. Winner of 44 E3 awards, including IGN's Game of the Show 2012. And it's three screenshots of Lara. You know, she there's a wolf pouncing on her. She's holding a gun against some fiery flames and oh she looks all scuffed and all that it's basically Lara she's having a bad go of it Mm. even the text here it says a turning point experience Lara Croft's intense origin story from a young woman to a hardened survivor it's expecting you to know who Lara Croft is but this is a different Lara Croft (laughs) one we will get onto the story synopsis then to give you a bit of a recap of what actually happens in the game A group of people are aboard a ship called the Endurance. They're going on an expedition to the island of Yamatai off the coast of eastern Japan in order to find this ancient civilization. The ship runs into a storm, it's blown to bits, and all the people on the boat are left stranded on the island. Now, there was a prequel comic called Tomb Raider The Beginning that had some pretty pivotal details in it. Mm. To go through some of those details as quickly as possible, the crew of the Endurance is heading for the ancient city of Yamatai because they're filming a reality-based archaeology TV show. I just think, you know, Discovery Channel, whatever. Fronted by one of the people on the boat called Dr. James Whitman. Now, Whitman's TV show, which is called Whitman's World, very imaginative, (laughs) is going into its third season. His funding is being pulled. His wife is divorcing him. And I will say, all of this colour may have been handy to understand his motives in the game. Yeah. But hey, it introduces the characters a bit more than the game does, uh, one could say. But anyway, back to the game. One of the people on this boat is Lara Croft. Uh, She is a 20-something-year-old wannabe archaeologist and one of the only characters that actually matters in this computer game. (laughs) After running into some nasty island inhabitants, killing a deer and generally getting the shit kicked out of her for quite a while, Lara runs into her friend and fellow endurance passenger, Sam. Sam is talking to a man called Matthias, who is quite clearly a bastard, (laughs) but neither Sam nor Lara decode this. I I have more on this later. Anyway, Lara goes to sleep by a fire. She wakes up and she sees that both Sam and Matthias are gone. Who could have predicted this? (laughs) Lara continues on. 
she meets up with other members of the Endurance, uh, other members called Whitman, Race, Grim, Jonah and Alex, and they decide to split up to try and find both Sam and Lara's mentor and father figure, Conrad Roth, who was also on the ship. Lara finds uh, Roth, but he's injured, so she then tries to go to a radio tower to call for help. She gets through to a plane, but a storm happens out of nowhere and obliterates the rescue plane. At this point, the Sam search party contact Lara to tell her that Sam is being held captive by the cult that lives on the island, the Solari Brotherhood. Now, after trying to rescue Sam, Lara eventually ends up captured herself, but she escapes because she's incredible, whatever. She does discover at this point, and I guess I probably should mention this, that these cultists and their leader, Matthias, worship a sun queen called Himiko and the baddies want to put Sam through a fire ritual because they think she's Himiko or something. Fine. (laughs) A few other things happen here while Lara heads for Sam's location. Grim dies. It doesn't matter. Lara's save attempt fails and Matthias and the cultists leave with Sam. Her other friends have been captured so she must save them again. Uh, Roth is killed by the bad guys Alex is killed grabbing a screwdriver from the wreck of the Endurance I have a lot to say about that later (laughs) Uh, Sam who joins back with the Endurance crew is once again captured as Whitman double crosses the goodies I mean, yeah. Mm. Eventually, after seeing Whitman be killed by some demonic Japanese enemies, sure, Lara makes her way to the monastery where the Solari are performing a ritual to transfer the soul of Sun Queen Himiko into the body of Lara's friend Sam. So Lara kills Matthias, saves Sam, and the remaining members of the Endurance sail off while Lara says something like, There are tons more mysteries and myths out there for me to solve. Maybe I should do that in two sequels. I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was words to that effect. Yeah, something like that. And that's your story of Tomb Raider. Now, the developer is Crystal Dynamics and Idos Montreal. Well, Idos Montreal did the multiplayer and I will say I tried to play the multiplayer. Nobody's playing the multiplayer for Tomb Raider. I couldn't get a single game. <laughs> so we are just going to be talking about Crystal Dynamics because Idos Montreal, we're going to talk about them in the future anyway. We spoke about them a little bit in our Deus Ex The Fall episode, but we're really going to talk about them in, in future episodes. So let's just talk about Crystal Dynamics. And I say this occasionally at this point, but I mean it, strap in. Another long-time and big-time developer we're talking about here, founded in July 1992 by Madeline Canepa and Judy Lang, who were both former marketing executives at Sega, and Dave Morse, who also founded Amiga Corporation. Crystal Dynamics was an offshoot of the 3DO company operating out out of uh, California. The 3DO company we spoke about during our Last of Us episode. Uh, Of course, they were the people behind the failed Challenger brand console, the Panasonic 3DO. But Crystal Dynamics couldn't see into the future, sadly, so they did get to work on making games for the system. A car combat racing game called Crash and Burn and a space flight sim called Total Eclipse. This is also where I should introduce another name from Crystal Dynamics history, Strauss Zelnick. Now, for those that are really tapped in, Zelnick may be known to you as the current CEO of Take-Two Interactive. But back in June 93, Zelnick resigned from his role as president and CEO of 20th Century Fox to become president and CEO of Crystal Dynamics. In the no-clip documentary, The 30-Year History of Crystal Dynamics, I'm going to be using this loads for, for this bit, Zelnick said one thing they wanted to get right from the off 
were the parts of games where you're not playing. So Zelnick said, quote, We certainly focus on the quality of the cutscenes, and cutscenes were seen as a necessary nuisance to the business then, and we wanted our cutscenes to look really good, and they did. We wanted our games to look really good too. They didn't look as good as the cutscenes. I think the fact that I came from, you know, a film and television background probably had some influence on our desire to do that. And the studio's early Hollywood influence didn't stop with those opening couple of games. 1994's The Horde had FMV cutscenes, which featured Kirk Cameron. Maybe not as well known over this side of the world, I don't know, but Cameron had great success in the States in an ABC sitcom that aired during the 80s called Growing Pains. And side note, from a simple Google, he now appears to be a bit of a right-wing nut. (laughs) Seems like uh, that always happens. Anyway, what I should add is that Crystal Dynamics didn't actually make the Horde, they published it. So around this time, Zelnik wanted to have the developer branch out and publish other developers' games. And the Horde was actually made by Toys for Bob, who might be known for the people behind the Crash Bandicoot or the Spyro remix from a few years back, or they may be known as the studio behind Skylanders. So another initiative then, spearheaded by Zelnik, uh, perhaps because he saw which way the wind was blowing, was to start making games that would launch on additional platforms. And so future 3DO games also made their way to the PlayStation and the Sega Saturn. The first game for them, it was a staple of the time, Crystal Dynamics took a punt on a mascot platformer and one that those of us of a certain vintage certainly remember. It was Gex. Yes, speaking about the Gecko, studio creative director and the 26th employee of the company, Noah Hughes, said one thing they had to get right about Gex were his abilities. Hughes said, quote, I think one of the things that was most exciting to us about Gex was the fact that geckos can walk on walls, which allowed us to play with surfaces. Being able to walk on the ceiling or even walk on the back face of platforms. So you had not only side scrolling, but almost this vertical platforming gameplay. And again, that tapped in, into some of the things that we could do with the technology uh, that we couldn't do as well previously. Gex became one of the best selling 3DO games. And while total sales aren't entirely clear, it clearly did well enough that two sequels were made and released. Firstly, in January 98, we got Gex Enter the Gecko. And speaking to Noclip, one of the game's designers and someone who you heard on the pod on our Last of Us episode, Bruce Straley, said that Mario 64 was definitely one of the driving forces for moving Gex into 3D. But they obviously weren't the only developer doing a Mario 64. Uh, Straley said, quote, During Enter the Gecko, Crash 1 came out and it was incredible. Just the amount of detail on the screen, all the foliage and the plants and moving things, just everything. It was just like, how are they doing this? And we didn't know at the time, like, oh, if you just lock the camera and you render only what's in the camera, you get away with hell. We were trying to do a full 3D game. We were trying to do Mario. Naughty Dog were pretty genius. And funnily enough, Straley said basically the entire Gex team ended up going to Naughty Dog, including himself, of course. One more Gex game would come out, Gex Deep Cover Gecko, and it would be the final adventure for said Gecko. He burned brightly briefly... Good night, sweet, talkative, annoying prince. (laughs) Or, well, I suppose he is going to burn brightly again because wasn't it only last month where it was announced that Gex is coming back? Don't know why, but sure, they're going to slap the original three games into a nice little trilogy package for the millions and millions that have been 
calling out for this to happen for so very long. So, cool. Yeah. Between 95 and 99, or the Gex years, as we <laughs> call them, uh, Crystal Dynamics was working on developing and publishing other games. Pandemonium is probably the biggest one. They published the first and developed the second. But their next big series would be one that began in 96 with Blood Omen, and that series being Legacy of Cain. I'm not off a with the Blood Omen branch of the series, but we, the Stealth Boom Boom Boys, as we are known <laughs> when we walk down the street. Oh, look, it's the SBB Boys, or the SBBB. We were recently discussing adding some series to our big spreadsheet of potential games, and one Josh Wise said that there is definitely enough sneakiness in at least some of the Blood Omen games for them to fall into the Stealth Boom Boom category. So... We'll talk about the series as a whole at a later date, and at least some of the games we'll talk about more in depth. So we move on. From 96 to 03, the span in which the Legacy of Kane games are released, Crystal Dynamics is also putting out a couple of Disney games, presumably to keep the lights on. There are also a few interesting, if lesser known, games that they launch in and around this time period too, like Mad Dash Racing in 01, Whiplash in 03. But I wanted to highlight 2005's Project Snowblind. Because this game's roots are in Deus Ex, kind of. Mm. So, IDOS Interactive, who had bought Crystal Dynamics in November 98 for approximately $47.5 million, had their IDOS Montreal studio working on a Deus Ex game that would eventually become Deus Ex Human Revolution. So, as design director Jason Botta told Noclip, the order came down from on high to make a Deus Ex-like game. He said, quote, Deus Ex was owned by IDOS, and so they wanted to build, build a game that I think felt like Deus Ex, but wasn't Deus Ex, because we were already working on a Deus Ex. They wanted to build a first-person shooter with a sci-fi feel. Designer John Hughes added that this FPS was at first its own thing, then it got Deus Ex crowbarred in, and was going to be a multiplayer FPS called Deus Ex Clan Wars. And then they were told to take the Deus Ex stuff out again, and it became Project Snowblind. And now we get to Tomb Raider. So in 2003, after Tomb Raider, The Angel of Darkness, which sold two and a half million copies, but was pretty much destroyed critically, IDOS Interactive took the series from original developer, the Derby-based core design, and gave it to Crystal Dynamics. The enormity of taking on Tomb Raider wasn't lost on the studio, though. Uh, the creative director, Noah Hughes, said, quote, Just hearing that we might have an opportunity to do a Tomb Raider game was pretty exciting. I think as an entertainment property, it was very compelling. As a game developer, it was very intimidating because you realise that it's not your franchise. You have the incredibly talented core design who created it, but ultimately, a community of fans who own it to some extent, right? It's important for me that we're delivering something that the fans can be proud of. So it came with some amount of just sobering responsibility. So Crystal Dynamics then got to work on the seventh Tomb Raider game and the developer's first, Tomb Raider Legend. Now, design director Jason Bottas said that the studio really wanted to make sure they got the look of Lara Croft down. He said, quote, uh, We went through tons and tons of revisions of the model and the look and what her outfit was and what her weapons were and how she moved. Lara is the key to the Tomb Raider franchise and so nailing her is the most important part of it. Noah Hughes added that they wanted to make it their own as well, of course, and that involved changing things like how Lara moves. So 
gone were the tank controls replaced with something more modern and fluid. And as well as that, they wanted to introduce more physics-based puzzles. So Tomb Raider Legend launched in April 2006, and it was a bit of a comeback for the series. It sold close to 3 million in the first few months, and it was a critical success too. So, riding on that wave, Crystal Dynamics got to work on a remake of the original game using this new Tomb Raider Legend engine. Uh, This game would be called Tomb Raider Anniversary, commemorating 10 years since the launch of the original. It was tougher than they first anticipated, though. Design director Jason Botta said, quote, So when we started making Anniversary, the idea was to just sort of remake the original game with all of the mechanics that we had sort of introduced in Legend and then introduce a couple of new mechanics into Tomb Raider Anniversary, but largely, you know, just remake the old game. And then we realised the original game was enormous, so we couldn't build all of it. And then it really became picking and choosing what are the best parts of the game to sort of rebuild as Tomb Raider Anniversary. Another issue they ran into was that some of those puzzles from the original game really relied on how you controlled Lara back then. Now, with Legends controls, they also had to rethink some puzzles. And they had to do that in a ridiculously short amount of time. As Botta said, quote, We had nine months to build Tomb Raider Anniversary from start to finish, which was an insanely short amount of time. Anniversary launched on the 1st of June 2007, a mere 14 months after Legend. And in fairness, it largely uh, received positive reviews. It's got an 81 on Metacritic. But ultimately, as of 2009, the game sold 1.3 million copies, which makes it the least successful Tomb Raider game ever. Again, commercially, at the very least. So Crystal Dynamics had one more Lara Croft game in the tank, Tomb Raider Underworld. Released in November 2008, Underworld once again was reviewed generally positively, but it wasn't a rip-roaring success in terms of sales out of the gate. It would eventually meet their sales expectations, though, selling 3.8 million copies as of 2021. It just took a little bit longer than they were kind of anticipating. (laughs) After Underworld, though, they wanted to reboot the series. Head of studio from 2009 to 2016, Daryl Gallagher, said it felt right, given the new other competitor series that were beginning, like Assassin's Creed and Uncharted. So current studio head, Scott Amos, spoke about how the team was inspired to go grittier and down the origin story route with Tomb Raider 2013. Amos said, quote, The Tomb Raider reboot was us saying, let's go back to the origin tale. If you think in the movies at that era, Daniel Craig's first Bond movie was Casino Royale. We looked at Batman Begins. And so things were happening in Hollywood a little darker, a little grittier, and they were really telling the origin tale of those iconic characters. And the studio head and creative director were like, let's do that. They tried a lot of things gameplay-wise before... They landed on what they landed on with the game, though. Design director Jason Botta said, quote, More than any game I've worked on at the studio, the development of the reboot of Tomb Raider had more experimentation. At one point, we were going to have a melee fighting game where Lara had two axes, and you would move the analog sticks around as she would whack people with axes, based on your stick motions. It was very fantastical in the early days, There were a lot of monsters and crazy demons. Lara had a horse for a while, and the original island that the game ends up taking place on was much larger, and you would travel around the island on your horse. Then we decided maybe we'll do a motorcycle. At one point, 
we were thinking of a game with a companion. So we had a little girl as part of the main story. You were sort of shepherding this little girl along through the island and keeping her safe. And Lara took on this protector role. It sort of went all over the place. Didn't it just? A lot of, <laughs> lot of different things in there. <laughs> and to mention any more would really just ease into the marketing and press coverage section. So that is the story of Crystal Dynamics up until the launch of Tomb Raider, brackets 2013, but it is actually just called Tomb Raider. <laughs> now, the publisher, Square Enix, a returning publisher in Square Enix, and in fact, one we spoke about literally was two episodes ago uh, on our Deus Ex The Fall pod. And Deus Ex The Fall launched after Tomb Raider 2013. So we've done this one. Go listen to our Deus Ex The Fall podcast for more on Square Enix up to this point. (laughs) Sales-wise, in its first two days, Tomb Raider sold over one million copies. It debuted at number one in the UK and was the sixth best-selling game in the UK for 2013. One place ahead of FIFA 13 and one place behind Assassin's Creed Black Flag. In the States, Tomb Raider was the second best-selling game of March 2013. One place ahead of Gears of War Judgment and one place behind Bioshock Infinite. In just under a month, 3.4 million copies of the game had been sold worldwide, which sounds like a lot. But, and I even remember this at the time, it failed to meet Square Enix's expectations. That's bonkers. However, fast forward a little, and by the end of 2013, the game was profitable. And if you fast forward even further to October 2021, Tomb Raider has sold 14.5 million copies worldwide. So eventually, a success. Which seems like a, you know, part of the story of a lot of the Tomb Raider games, really. The critical reception of this one on PC and on Xbox 360, it has a Metacritic score of 86, while on PS3, its Metacritic score is 87. And the definitive editions, which on PS4, it has an 85, and on Xbox One, it has an 86. And that is your Tomb Raider back of the box. So we are going to take a quick little break. And we are going to come back and talk about some of the marketing and press coverage around Tomb Raider. But while we do that, dear listener, you can take a listen to a trailer we are going to talk about in just a moment. And that is the debut trailer for Tomb Raider. It is just referred to as Turning Point. So you take a listen to that and then we will be back to chat about it. A famous explorer once said... That the extraordinary is in what we do, not who we are. I'd finally set out to make my mark. To find adventure. But instead, adventure found me. When life flashes before us, we find something. Something that keeps us going. 
something that pushes us. then let's continue on this tomb raider train choo choo <laughs> as we talk about some pre-launch marketing so yes this first trailer that the people at home have just listened to the turning point debut trailer this was yes the first trailer for the game it was shown a week uh, shown off a week before e3 2011 on game trailers tv it also got a 12 minute making of that they released a month after uh, this was released. Bit extreme. Adam, did, like when you're watching this trailer in 2011, just under two years before the game would come out, but when you first see this trailer, are you like, oh yeah, sign me up? Pretty much. I, I, I would definitely have been looking at it going, yeah, I'll play this. I was... I do remember the time kind of looking at how gritty and how intense it came across straight away, but... For the most part, I was definitely interested. What about you, Josh? Or even on reflection, like looking at this trailer now in 2023. Watching it now, it is a a good trailer. Very pretty uh, CGI and such. But my main takeaway from the Turning Point trailer is that it is a much better introduction to to this game than the introduction to this game. (laughs) Like it effectively tells the story and sets up what's happening quite well. And when you start this game... It does not set everything up quite well. It feels quite rushed and I don't know what's going on. So Mm. my advice to people would be watch the Turning Point trailer because it's actually sort of the cutscene that should have opened the game. Uh, It was revealed a few months prior. Um, As I said, this trailer came out June 2011. And in December 2010, it was the game was revealed via a Game Informer cover story, like big, massive coverage this thing was getting. But the first time anyone heard of it was when it leaked on the 11th of July 2009 and a website called Four Player Co-op somehow got their hands on images. But yeah, this game, there was a lot of trailers, a lot of ads, just a, a, a lot of stuff. It was on the Xbox E3 stage in 2011, a week or so after this uh, debut trailer. You had the first gameplay trailer a year later in June 2012. There was a cinematic trailer in December 2012. Maybe my favourite, UFC fighter Demetrius Johnson did an ad promoting a Tomb Raider Xbox 360 controller in January 2013. That's (laughs) ridiculous. There was so, so much. But one thing that I really wanted to drill down on is Tomb Raider The Final Hours. So... From July 10th, 2012 until, well, basically up until kind of the the game came out, Crystal Dynamics released these videos to tie in with an ebook that they did with Jeff Keighley, 
he of the Game Awards now, the Game Awards fame. Uh, and you can get this ebook still now, you can get it on Steam. And this came out at launch, but these videos were kind of, you know, tying into that. And it was the final hours of Tomb Raider. And Keeley's done this before. He did it with Titanfall, I think. I think he did it off the top of my head. He did it with Portal 2, I think. But anyway, for these videos, these final hours videos, Crystal Dynamics got star of television show Chuck and now I guess star of the Shazam superhero movies and also anti-vax Joe Rogan podcast guest Zachary Levi to front it. (laughs) He was in nerd adjacent television, a few games as well around this time. And he in fact I guess there was a connection with Keeley. He hosted the 2011 Spike TV Video Game Awards, which was the precursor to the the, the Game Awards now. Um, and they also, Crystal Dynamics, put his likeness and voice in the multiplayer. I have a couple of clips from this, so you're going to hear a lot of Levi, and he is so obnoxious and so annoying. <laughs> the first clip I have is Levi asking actress Camilla Loddington who, I should say, the actress who plays Lara Croft in Tomb Raider, and to most people on the street, would probably be best known for her role as Dr. Joe Wilson in Grey's Anatomy. She's been in the show for 10 years. Oh, bloody hell. So in this clip, you're going to hear Levi ask Luddington whether Lara Croft is a video game icon and slash or a sex symbol. Uh, the first voice you're going to hear is Levi, and the second voice you're going to hear is Camilla Loddington. Is Lara a video game icon? A sex symbol? I think she's both. Oh! Obviously, she's a game icon. But I also think she's a sex symbol because she fights for what she believes in. Um, she's courageous. And I think those things are, are sexy. The shorts are gone. Which I'm sure most guys will think is a bummer. I like her new look. Yes, she's still gorgeous, but now she's a person. Because she was a squirrel before, (laughs) I don't know. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that more in a bit and the kind of the sex symbolness because I have another clip from an American chat show when I was watching it in this day and age. was like, oh my God, this is... Ludicrous. Another clip here from uh, Tomb Raider The Final Hours number two, this uh, Origins of a Story, posted in October 2012. This is Rihanna Pratchett, who is the Tomb Raider, the the writer of Tomb Raider, uh, talking about the similarities between her and Lara and how she's always loved strong female leads. So in this clip, the first voice you're going to hear is Levi who basically asks Pratchett, can you write girl good because you girl? (laughs) So take a listen to this. Rihanna Pratchett, does it take a woman to know a woman? It probably helps, but I don't kind of think about it as much as everyone else does. So I tend to think of myself as being a writer first. There is some of me in her, absolutely. She's very bookish, she's very in her head. I went to public school, I actually learned archery. Um, Camilla did as well, I heard. We bring up our ladies properly. Um, and I, I genuinely studied Egyptology. I wanted to be an Egyptologist. No way. You know, I've always been a huge fan of, of kick-ass females. I mean, I yeah. grew up on Terminator and aliens. Yeah. You know, fighting aliens in the future. I thought that was what girls did. Now, I suppose it, it, it's not massively surprising to hear that Rihanna Pratchett, you know, she, oh, I had this kind of similar life to Lara because of her upbringing, her father being an author, Terry Pratchett, if you don't know. And the thing about Lara is 
she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth, basically. And Rihanna Pratchett is kind she of... She went to public school, which means pr- private school for anyone who, d- who isn't sure. We, we have funny conventions with school names here, if you're listening in America. But yeah, and also that she learned archery, which I didn't know. And I didn't know that went on in public schools, just learning archery, willy-nilly. Another clip here from the final hours, number three, The Sound of Survival. And the context for this clip is that composer Jason Graves, he is getting a sculptor called Matt McConnell to make him an instrument that's metal and glass and odds and ends. And in this clip, you're going to hear bits of him playing this instrument, which they literally just call the instrument. (laughs) And you're going to hear him talk about how this thing gives the island a, quote, voice. So, yeah, take a listen to this. The instrument. I was going to let Matt determine the aesthetics. I was really only concerned about the sound that the sculpture was going to make. Matt built this which looks pretty much exactly like Laura's original homemade bow in the game. There's different timbres based on different materials, metal, glass. It's a direct line from the plot, the characters, the story, the environment, straight to the sculpture. We always wanted the island to have that character in itself. Creating an instrument gave it this unique identity. It's got a voice. Yeah. 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 Mm. Nobody has actually put in the notes anything about the music because I think, does it have a voice? If it does, it's not a very memorable one. You know, it's funny because when I watched that little clip, I, I did think like exactly kind of what you just said. I was like, on the one hand, I was like, oh yeah, no, the... The sound design in this game is actually, like, really good. Like, it's funny, like, it it is unlike the other Tomb Raider games. It, like, it really has a soundscape that is limited to that one range of the instrument. But then also, you're, you're right, like, I didn't think that before I watched this video diary, so maybe I took it for granted a little bit. But it is it's decent, isn't it? If anything, I think it's too melodic. Oh, right. When you see this instrument, when you see, excuse me, the instrument, <laughs> yeah. and even when he's playing stuff in that clip, it sounds kind of alien and a bit... Mm. But in the moment, in the game, it's like, ah, oh, it just sounds like orchestral music. It was a bit of a, a bummer because I... I like Jason Graves stuff like from Dead Space and things like that. But I think sonically the sound like you can hear like that sound of that instrument, mm. of the instrument, <laughs> when you approach the tombs and stuff, which we'll talk about later on. But that that's the only time throughout the game where I would have been like, oh, that, that sound. But other than that, everything has been right over my head. <laughs> yeah. Another clip yeah. here from Tomb Raider, the final hours, number four, surviving together. And in this clip, you are going to hear global brand director. Carol Stewart and creative director Noah Hughes talk about the origins of multiplayer and the connection multiplayer has to 2010's downloadable co-op game, Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, it was Eidos Montreal that ended up looking after the multiplayer. But yeah, you get to hear a bit of the, as I say, the origins of multiplayer in this clip here. When we started developing uh, sort of our vision for reimagining Tomb Raider, 
On paper, it was all about single player. And as we started to build that world out, we had the island, we had the Solarian, the scavengers. We started to realize that we had this canvas. Great warring um, factions, great landscapes. Yeah, yeah, we had all these really awesome places where it was all about traversal and single player. When we started looking at that, we thought, wow, well, what about multiplayer? Part of the genesis of that was Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light that kind of cracked open a door to lead you guys into the multiplayer into here at Idols Montreal. Guardian Light was uh, a downloadable, a smaller scale project, and that allowed us to sort of take the risks that we wouldn't necessarily take on a, a full-blown project. Guardian of Light was our Pixar short. It's the idea that whilst you're building your big project, you're always thinking about that next thing. But also allowed us to be able to uh, start understanding co-oping and networking. It was a game that actually brought Tomb Raider fans together for one of the very first times. You hear them in their ear and they were having fun. And as a result of that, that led to us thinking about multiplayer. I think he's actually doing Lara Croft and the Guardian of the Light a bit of a disservice there by going, it was our Pixar short. Yeah, I agree mm. completely. Yeah, That was a great game. And like the sequel after it as well. Yes, the Temple of Osiris. Yeah. Now, there was a two-part film finale to the final hours but there wasn't really anything in there that translated well to podcasts as far as I remember now one I, I did say there was a lot of trailers for this game but there was one that I came across and I was like I, ha- I have to play a little bit of this for our, our listeners because awful stuff it is fucking dreadful <laughs> it's one of the worst trailers I've ever seen so this, so this is called the Tomb Raider Reborn trailer it was uh, posted in uh, late February 2013 its message is you know yeah there is a survivor in all of us and it's 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 a bit long, so I've just clipped out like the last 30 seconds or so, and you'll get the gist of it from that. But it, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is like a HSBC or a Santander ad <laughs> or something like that. That's what this says to me. So take a listen. You'll, you'll get the gist from this clip. So take a listen to this. I am dating. say things and then the words repeat and <laughs> it, it's actually worth looking at it though because like because some some of the people in it are really intense in their delivery and then some people are just say like, dangerous and it's just like it's all over the place with the emotion of it it feels like a really really terrible like build up to a wrestling pay-per-view that's that's what it it's the start of like WWF Unforgiven 2002 mm, and yeah. like Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar are they're going I will be champion I will be champion no one will defeat no one will defeat it's, it's that oh it's bad and one other video now I don't have audio from this because there, there's no audio to play really it is visual but when I think of Tomb Raider 2013 this is literally the first thing I think of and baby, that is real-time hair. It is Tress FX. Because on the 5th of March 2013, we got a, our first look, our first video, that was called Tomb Raider Tress FX Demo. And what this was, was, as I said, it was real-time hair. It was everyone else's hair. It's not going to move an inch. But Lara's, every single strand would be swept in the wind. <laughs> So that is some of your marketing. So let us look at some pre-launch press coverage. And the first clip I have here is from E3 2011. 
the 10th of June, 2011, and it is uh, an interview that senior producer Kyle Pe- Peckel did with Giant Bomb. And in this clip, you are going to hear about, you know, the team's approach to grittiness and how Lara's relatability is important. Uh, the first voice you'll hear is Ryan Davis being quite forthright with a question. And the second voice is producer Kyle Peckel. So take a listen to this. Pardon my French here, but uh, in that first half of that demo, uh, uh, Lara really gets the shit beat out of her pretty badly. How do you keep this experience from getting too grim? I think that it's all about where she is emotionally and where you as a gamer are in relating to her, right? In the very beginning, it was very important to us to show a very young and frail uh, Croft. I mean, uh, she's 21 years old. She just fell off of this massive endurance ship. She's shipwrecked. She wakes up having no idea where she is, and she's responding to that very hostile world. After that has been established, you start to have bear a different relationship with her, and you start to watch her mature over the course of the game. And you find that as you find yourself in situations, it's relatable, it's, it's understandable on where she is, and you have compassion for that. If it's just senseless violence, then it's just, it, it, it distances you from who she is and what you want her to become as you're playing with her. Ah, uh, Ryan Davis was the best. But hold on to your opinions, because just remember... Lara, she's relatable. What she's going through, it's relatable. <laughs> in an interview with Rock Paper Shotgun on the 18th of July, 2011, global brand manager of Tomb Raider, Carl Stewart, was asked why Crystal Dynamics thought Tomb Raider needed a reboot. Stewart said, quote, I think Lara's a beloved character and Chris has really enjoyed the time they've been able to spend with her. We felt she was losing some relevance in the gaming world, that she was a little too hard and removed. We wanted to make her more approachable and relatable. All right, okay. Um, and then on the 6th of June, 2012, in an interview with the Rev3 Games, uh, a video called Tomb Raider Interview, Lara Croft's new gritty and realistic look at E3. So this is a year on from that interview with Giant Bomb, but again at E3. Senior art director Brian Horton uh, was answering a question about Lara's redesigned look versus, you know, the old Lara. And, you know, she, she's relatable as well. You've got to remember that. So the first voice you're going to hear is Rev3's Anthony Carboni. And the second voice you'll hear is Crystal Dynamics' Brian Horton. And this first question, it is very, very 2012. So take a listen to this. So let's talk about, first of all, yeah, the redesign visually of Lara and what you guys wanted to do. Um, when I asked, hey, does anybody online have any questions about Tomb Raider? Uh, it was, uh, what happened to her torso? <laughs> Once again, big part of believability is to make sure that when you look at this, when you look at this version of Lara, that she feels like someone you might know, you know, someone that feels uh, familiar. And one of those ideas was, is like, let's make sure that when we look at her proportionality, she just feels like someone that you would just meet across the street. You know, the clothes are reminiscent of Lara from an iconic standpoint with the tank top and the cargo pants and the boots but it is much more grounded much more believable so all that sort of played played a part of it and she's younger you know we wanted to feel youthful and a lot of that came down to like all the decisions we made were wrapped up into the final result you see on screen so far our reaction has been very positive from the fans and non-fans alike and they're really invested in this girl and that's the thing is like we wanted people to feel something for her and that emotion is the most important thing she's your next door neighbor (laughs) all right that's who this woman is. How many? How many times do we need to tell you? Yeah, I feel feel like I know her. I feel like I know her. I mean, unreal. 
A load of old bollocks is what it is. <laughs> the thing is, oh, fair enough, you know, out, oh, she's not wearing shorts, but fine. She's still a, a sort of hyper fit and able, unrealistically beautiful person. It's not like she's mm. not still a paragon of attractiveness, right? It's like, oh, yeah. or literally all it is mm. is, well, she's not wearing the shorts anymore. So she's relatable. She's human, you know? So it's like, <laughs> what? What are you on about? <laughs> Then, okay, so we have a couple of stories here that basically weave a narrative of one story, I guess. I, I've, I've collected all of the stories related to this one incident here. This totally overtook the narrative around Tomb Raider at the time. In an interview with Kotaku on the 11th of June 2012, an article titled, You'll Want to Protect the New, Less Curvy Lara Croft. Executive producer Ron Rosenberg was asked about how Lara Croft suffers in the new game. It had been established by this point. A lot of people knew that there's a, a lot of things she Lara goes through and a lot of punishment and et cetera, et cetera. So Rosenberg was asked about that. And Rosenberg said, quote, She gets taken prisoner by scavengers on the island. They try to rape her and she's literally turned into a cornered animal. Uh, and that's a huge step in her evolution. She's either forced to fight back or die. And that's what we're showing today. Two days later, in an article on Kotaku titled Tomb Raider Creators are no longer referring to games attempted, quote, rape scene as an attempted rape scene. So yes, 13th of June, Crystal Dynamics studio head Daryl Gallagher issued a statement after the rape comment from executive producer Ron Rosenberg. Gallagher said, quote, One of the character-defining moments for Lara in the game, which has incorrectly been referred to as an attempted rape scene, is the content we showed at this year's E3, and which over a million people have now seen in our recent trailer entitled Crossroads. This is where Lara is forced to kill another human for the first time. In this particular uh, selection, while there is a threatening undertone in the sequence and the surrounding drama, it never goes any further than the scenes that we have already shown publicly. Sexual assault of any kind is categorically not a theme that we cover in this game. Then, about two weeks later, Ian Livingston, who held the job title of IDOS Life President, was <laughs> speaking at the Game Horizon conference in Newcastle, England. He spoke about the comments made by Ron Rosenberg and kind of what happened after those comments were made. Livingston said, quote, Quotes were misinterpreted and blown out of proportion. Uh, there was a momentary threat to Lara, which she overcame in two seconds. The reaction has been quite extreme. I think about my responsibility as a developer Films can deal with these themes, but it's different in games when the user controls the action. Then two days later, in uh, another article on Kotaku, the article titled Tomb Raider Creators say, quote, rape is not a word in their vocabulary. Global brand director Carl Stewart said, quote, Executive producer Ron Rosenberg said something which is certainly a word that is not in our vocabulary and not in our communication. He did say it. It's his personal opinion and certainly, like I said, it's not something that we communicate. A few months later, 
speaking to GameSpot for an article titled The Rebirth of Lara Croft in October 2012. Lead writer Rihanna Pratchett spoke about uh, a little bit about female characters in games and also she touched on the rape controversy which by this point had dominated the conversation around the game for quite a while, really. So Pratchett said, quote, In the past, developers have definitely forgotten about the brains bit when dealing with female game characters, mainly because that's an aspect of a character that can't be depicted visually. It has to be done through smart dialogue and appropriate action. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a female character being attractive, even sexy. It's just when it's done in a purely tits-out-for-the-lads way... It becomes rather embarrassing. Although we weren't depicting rape in Tomb Raider, I see no reason why games can't touch upon these themes or even explore them, as long as it's not done for titillation, but in a thoughtful way, with integrity and context. The world doesn't need any more Japanese rape simulators, but we simply can't call ourselves a serious storytelling medium if we exclude topics which are routinely covered in weeknight soap operas. This this story did dominate for, for quite a while, and that's why I wanted to put all of the, the articles in there and all of the quotes to give you the full story in, in one, basically, mm. where this Ron Rosenberg made a remark and then they went on damage control. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. to a massive extent. However, still, Ian Livingston... IDOS life president is going like, eh, it's not that bad. And again, you know, you have the global brand director, Carl Stewart, seemingly jumping on it and trying to be like, it's not a word in our vocabulary. That's an odd sentence. I get what he's saying. It's not in our communication. Yeah. We're not saying that it is an attempted rape scene because I guess we should say for the people who haven't played it, this scene was in a trailer at the time and I think he even says that Mm -hmm. but it's also in the game it's Lara's first kill and in this moment Lara is hiding this guy sees her he kind of pulls her out of this little hole that she's in she's hiding behind two kind of wood panelling and he off memory he kind of puts his hand on her hip maybe her stomach yeah and he goes very close to her face he's being creepy yeah like into her ear like he pushes her against the wall with his hand on her Mm. hip and sort of goes to kind of either kiss her ear or whisper i don't know you know the thing is like it's quite clear what is being communicated and i for me the pratchett quote sort of says it all because it just sort of feels like she, she, you know, she got an email and someone basically said to her, you have to say that that's not what that scene was. But if you look at every single other thing in that quote, and if you just look at the scene itself, it evidently is trying to communicate a, a sexual threat. Mm-hmm. Whilst it's wrong to say that it was, well, I don't know how wrong it is to say that it was an attempted rape scene. It, for, for me, the, the, the emotional tenor of that scene is quite clear. Um, and I guess Square Enix are just saying, well, we 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 didn't see how far it went. So and so and that's not the we, we don't want this controversy because we want to sell the game. So 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 no, what is in the game is not a rape scene or or, or an attempted rape scene, and that's technically true. But for my money, like it, it basically is. I mean, that is what that scene is communicating, and I. Me personally, like, I think Pratchett's quote is true. Now, whether or not 
we think that that scene did communicate those things in the way that Pratchett's saying. That's another discussion. Uh, what I really don't like is Ian Livingston's fairly blanket comment of just uh, films can deal with these themes, but it's different in games when the user controls the action. That to me is short-sighted and probably just focused on damage. I, I, I mean, I think games can, but I just think it depends. And I think, so, you know, so often these things are mishandled. But w- 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 what do you guys think? Am I am I kind of al- alone in there? It, it is a difficult thing when you are in control. Yeah. For example, like to be sexual uh, and listen, it's not what happens here. If you don't hit the QTE, you are killed. I think he just shoots you or something. Like. Yeah. But if it is in a different instance where like, you know, you do the QT properly and you, uh, you know, get remove yourself from the situation mm-hmm. or you incorrectly do it and you are like a victim of assault in some way. Mm-hmm. It's like putting you in control does confuse the issue somewhat where it's yeah. like a reward is one thing and failure is another yes yes mm. yes when you have it as a success condition that's just ah oh, you avoided abuse like the like yes. good for you that's yeah that, I, 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 absolutely as it's depicted here i do think that the undercurrent of the suggestion is clear and i and i and i agree yes. with you as well like and it's an interesting point you know if you fail the qte you 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 just get killed. I think I think like for me, if if it's that and it's a QT event, I for one kind of get uncomfortable because it's it feels even though it's not, it's it's making light of the situation to me mm. because I'm focusing solely on oh hitting the square or hitting triangle and mm. kind of I'm not really taking as as much as I should be this serious situation that's going down, which is why when it's in a game, as you were saying, Colm, like. I think it's best to not have control of it and just have it. If it's going to be put into a game, I think it's a cutscene yeah. because I think there's, there's, I think the last time I ever really kind of felt maybe that kind of way about my choice in a game was probably Last of Us Two. I remember there was moments that I was like, I don't really want to do this here now, but I'm kind of having to do it. And when you have to do that in a, a very horrendous situation, it's not good. It's not good, and I don't really like it. And that's kind of what happens there. So um, mm. I do agree, Josh. I'm with you there, but I want to switch you come on it. I just just leave it in a cutscene manner, I think, because I don't want to be in control of it. Other Tomb Raider news. Speaking to video gamer, global brand director, Carl Stewart, he basically revealed that there was going to be more Tomb Raider even before the this this new one came out. So this is a story from the 25th of June, 2012, an article uh, titled Tomb Raider sequel already mapped out hints Crystal Dynamics and yes Stuart said to Video Gamer quote I have to be careful because I know exactly where she's going you have to look at the future you have to look at where it's not just one game I don't want to say any more on it because I'll have the game director of the next game going what the fuck are you saying <laughs> mm-hmm. indeed and there was there was two sequels over the course of the next five, five years was it An interview with Polygon from August 2012 at Gamescom. And I have a clip here. This is Carl Stewart. He was a busy man. He spoke about how this version of Tomb Raider isn't going to have some of that silly nonsense that was in the original games. All right, no silliness here. This is gritty. This is real. So yeah, take a listen to this clip. First voice you're going to hear is Polygon's Brian Crescente and the second is Carl Stewart. It seems like a very serious Tomb Raider. 
But does that mean it's a Tomb Raider that can't, for instance, have a dinosaur in it? Like, are we going to see a T-Rex in this Tomb Raider? <laughs> so, so I would say no. In this, in this uh, Tomb Raider, there's not going to be any uh, T-Rexes or, or even smoke monsters for, for that Man. matter. <laughs> So, uh, what do you think that that's gone forever from Tomb Raider? Do you think one day? Yeah, it I just come think back? this is this is the vision that we have for the franchise right now. We're trying to bring you closer to the character and closer to the personality, and sort of develop that bond. And, and again, as we always say, it's, it's a cultural relevance, and we kind of feel like those emotions that we bring you through. In order to keep them feeling real, we have to keep you in some way grounded in reality. It is a video right. game after all, there's a lot yes. of fiction, but we want those heightened tension moments to come to life purely because you feel like you're there with her. Turning a corner and seeing the eyes of a T-Rex looking at you would kind of break you from that straight away. So, you know, we don't we don't get into that uh, high fantasy uh, in a way that uh, we may have done in past Tomb Raider titles. Silly bullshit. Dinosaurs, <laughs> smoke monsters, none of that, all right? Anyway, very quickly, in December 20. 2012, speaking to CVG, the creative director, Noah Hughes, well, well, yeah, he, he said there might, yeah, there's probably a bit of this, you know, silly stuff from the original games. Uh, so yeah, take a listen to this. Um, well, we don't want to spoil anything, but um, one thing that's, um, I guess, true about a Tomb Raider game is um, it is full of mystery. And as much as we want to sort of make this adventure feel believable, um, that's different than realism. So part of what we want to do is is um, have Lara pursue mysteries and sort of blur that line between sort of myth and reality. And um, and and that's something I think if people if people liked those aspects of previous games, um, the hope is we're just presenting some of those um, classic elements in in as believable and grounded a way as possible. So do you think? that something changed in those few months. Or, speaking to Polygon, Cara Stewart is saying, like, because what he's saying isn't necessarily wrong and that there aren't dinosaurs. I would argue... It's kind of, you know, something pretty close to a smoke monster. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a wind monster. I mean, I think, like, it basically is more just, it, it more closely follows the Uncharted template, which is just like, it's just normal for 18 chapters, but then the back five chapters go bloody mental with, yet, with yeah. yetis and stuff. So it's like most of, and also I think, the first fellow was sort of going, like, I think, again, a little bit damage control because they're like, well, well, we'll talk about all the gritty stuff on the front end. And then by the time they get to the end of the game, they'll start to see supernatural stuff. So like, neither one is wrong. Like, you don't get T-Rex in the first like half an hour like you did in the original Tomb Raider. Uh, instead, they save it all for the back end. And I don't really know how silly Tomb Raider really was. I mean, a dinosaur is pretty silly. Yeah. It maybe so, but like, if there was, um, yeah, I guess it is. I don't know. Like, it was fitting in a way, I suppose. It did. No, it did. It fit with the tone. Like, if there was a... It, t- it takes itself a lot more serious in, th- in this reboot, obviously. That's the real big change here, so... It's more Indiana Jones-style shit in the old games, where it's like, oh, she's in a... Uh, an abandoned village in Wilkabamba and it's been lost to time and oh look dinosaurs still exist here it's it yeah yeah like it, it's silly but also arguably when it comes to tone in this game I think it really struggles and I think they should should have done what Uncharted 4 did which was to say 
well, let's actually like never do the supernatural stuff. It'll do like we'll just stop doing that because like when they bring the supernatural stuff into the into Tomb Raider, just it kind of just undercuts a lot of the gritty stuff for me. I'm just like, oh, it was about a wind goddess all right something that i made reference to off the top but in a story posted on ign in late january 2013 the article titled dark horse brings tomb raider back to comics there he is again global brand director carl stewart spoke about a prequel comic book for this tomb raider game the prequel comic called tomb raider the beginning. Carol Stewart said, quote, Lara Croft is an icon across all forms of media, including comic books. The team at Crystal Dynamics has worked closely with Dark Horse on The Beginning to bring the relatable, reimagined <laughs> Lara Croft back to the comic book world. Batman, Superman, and Lara Croft. That's what I think of when it comes to comic books, more certainly. Yeah. But this is again, this it's basically what we spoke about with Assassin's Creed. Even before the game comes out, it is a juggernaut, and Tomb Raider very much was. Mm. Another article here from Variety, posted in March 2013, the article titled Tomb Raider Reboot Intros Younger Lara Croft. And this article isn't speaking about a younger Lara Croft in the game. No, this is speaking about a younger Lara Croft in the upcoming film reboot of Tomb Raider. Now, to remind you, this article is published in March 2013. This film wouldn't come out until 2018. I have a quote here from Crystal Dynamics studio head. He spoke about the film focusing on this new Lara rather than the old Lara. So Gallagher said, quote, Production company GK Films is working from this new take that we've given them. It's a good partnership. It was important for both of us to have a cohesive version of the franchise. We didn't want to see a film version that was a continuation of the old Tomb Raider films. Now, I haven't actually seen the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider films. That movie was okay. Like, she was the best thing in it. It uses this game loads. Like, it's all about the Yamatai and all that sort of stuff. And one final thing I have here. I guess this really shows the hype around this game. This clip, it's it's a clip of an interview published on YouTube on the 15th of March, 2013. I'm not sure when the actual interview was, but I presume it was very close around that date. And the clip is titled, Camilla Luddington died a million different ways in Tomb Raider, Conan on TBS. Yes, this is a clip of Lara Croft actress Camilla Luddington talking to Conan O'Brien on his chat show Conan, like Conan O'Brien, the monorail man, the the American chat show man. So for context, he was doing this thing at uh, around this time. I think it was called Clueless Gamer, where a member of his team who was like into games would get him to play a bit of a game. And the whole deal was him going, whoa, what's this? What does a game do? And everyone would go, ha ha ha. Or he'd make fun of the game. Or whatever. It was incredible advertising for any new game, really. For Like, they all wished that Conan would take the piss out of their game so they would get on mainstream American telly. So anyway, he played this, he did this segment for this on Tomb Raider, and then he got Camilla Luddington on his chat show. So the video that's on Conan O'Brien's YouTube is a truncated version of the interview that's about three minutes long. 
I don't know how long the original interview was, but I've shortened that again just to give you the bits that work without visuals, really. And this is an interaction that feels older than 10 years. And it's kind of why for that very first clip that we spoke about where Zachary Levi asked on the final hours where he asked her, is, is Lara Croft a sex symbol or is she an action hero or whatever he said? That's why I was like, we'll talk about that later because this Conan O'Brien clip, it sums up more about kind of the time. But look, let me play the clip and then we'll come back and talk about it. I played Tomb Raider and uh-huh. we, we shot it and then we put it out uh, on the yeah. show and um, I was so distracted when I was playing Tomb Raider yes. by the beauty of the new Lara yes. Croft. I noticed you had a, a little crush, perhaps. No, it wasn't just a little crush. I was, I was uh, totally perving out blood. the whole time. <laughs> it quite that way. That's what it was. It we was just call a, it what it was. Andy, you blood. saw it. It was, uh, it was sad. Yes. He had a virtual boner. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I can't tell if Andy's a good wingman or a bad wingman. <laughs> I got so upset, like the seventh time you died, I threw the controller down and I couldn't do it anymore. Enough. Because I was in love with you and I kept losing you over and over and over again. No. Wow. So this is very March 2013. To be honest, it feels even older. A few things here, right? And I, I, you mentioned a few things earlier, Josh. There is nothing wrong with sex. Sex is good. Hey, we all love a bit of sex and a bit of sexiness and all that is great. And sex sells and that's why people use it. And that's why, you know, it's not like Nathan Drake is a rotter. Like he's a very handsome man as well to like compare her like for like. The difference is when a new Uncharted game came out, how often would people be like, oh my God. Nathan Drake. <laughs> that didn't happen. And that's the difference here in this Conan O'Brien thing, where even, and there's a bit of that with the Zachary Levi thing as well, where it's like, you're talking about a video game character, sure, but it also kind of feels like you're just talking about the woman that's in front of you here. And there's a weird iffiness because Lara Croft isn't actually, like facially, she's not modelled on Camilla Luddington. No, there are similarities, like they are fairly similar, but she's actually based on a, a model, hmm. which again, to your point, Josh, is like where they're, where they're going, she's relatable. She's a girl next door. She's blah, blah. Is she fuck? <laughs> she's this beautiful cartoon character. Like that's what Lara Croft is, you know? But she's not wearing shorts. And so therefore she's the girl next door. All right. Yeah. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. Just to like, you know, I'm not a prude. I'm not a whatever. Again, do you want me to tell you that sex is brilliant some more? Because I will. Remind the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like sex, great. Sexy people, brilliant, cool, whatever. It's the fact that with Nathan Drake, like, you're not going to get this. Definitely. And, and and Brianna Pratchett sort of nailed it in that quote where she sort of said it's it's the difference between... I mean, she basically said it, right? She was like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with sex and sexiness, but <laughs> but there's a difference between that and the get your tits out for the lads. Like, they're, <laughs> they're just different things, really. And, uh, you know, and, and one of them ain't so great. But that's is your pre-launch marketing and press coverage for Tomb Raider. But we are going to take a quick little break now and then we will come back to give you our opinions on Tomb Raider itself. So yeah, we'll be back right after this. 
All right, then. Enough chat about the hype. And oh my God, Tomb Raider is coming out. Tomb Raider's out. It's been out for a decade. We've played it over the past two weeks. And now we are going to tell you what we thought of it. Or at least that is afterwards, or after I should say, we tell you our knowledge of Tomb Raider before we played it for this very podcast. Adam Carroll, start us off. Did you play Tomb Raider when it came out in 2013? Yes, it was a day one purchase. I was very much sold up to this point because we had three Uncharted games already. So I was a huge fan of this type of game in general. So I was all in Tomb Raider previous kind of games played bits and bobs from but this would have been I guess my first real kind of Tomb Raider game Josh Wise again kind of the same question did you play Tomb Raider when it came out I did I did I rented it from uh, Blockbuster completed this at a weekend and I remember thinking it was really good and like really clever and sort of respected what it was trying to do and I think ages I probably just thought it was great to be honest I played it the week it came out as well and when I finished it Lara Croft actually tweeted me so that that was quite nice of her and the reason Lara Croft tweeted me was because I tweeted thank you for taking the time to complete this game in the at Tomb Raider credits No problem at Crystal Dynamics. It was a pleasure. And then Tomb Raider tweeted me saying, glad to hear it, smiley face. That's a nice little interaction. (laughs) That was a nice little interaction. Well, because at the end of the game, that's what it pops up. It says like Crystal Dynamics thanks you for for taking the time to play our game. And it's like, that's nice. I think that is nice. Yeah, I want that in most. And just to be clear, it wasn't. Camilla Luddington. It was just that it was the two. Was it the Tomb Raider account, or was it La- does Lara Croft have an account of her own? I mean, I like to think it was Lara Croft herself. It was at Tomb Raider. It was Colum. It was because she is the Tomb I mean, Raider. I, I, she is the Tomb Raider. Yeah. So like, who, who else, else is gonna it going to be? Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, for those of you as who didn't play along at home, let me tell you what Tomb Raider is. So it is a mostly, I would say, linear third-person action-adventure game. And I say mostly linear because it does also have these mini hub areas that uh, are more open and it allows you to search for collectibles in these areas. For the majority of the time, you are murdering guys with your bow, or if you want, other lesser weapons, in some boom-boom encounters, or some encounters where you can be a bit more stealthy. and. That's basically it. Mm. Really? Mm. We are going to tell you what we thought of it now. And what we usually do is we split the game up into different sections. So we first talk about the game's stealth. Then we talk about its boom boom, which is it's more explosive and just the other gameplay bits as well. Uh, Then we tell you about the most noteworthy mission leveler area that stood out to us. Then we talk about the story and then we just mop up anything else in a little miscellaneous section at the end. So let us first talk about the stealth of Tomb Raider. And I'm trying to avoid sounding like I'm damning this with faint praise, right? (laughs) But in our shared document here, dear listener, I have written down, quote, I'm quoting myself, uh, the stealth in Tomb Raider isn't terribly sophisticated and at times feels a bit scripted. What I mean by that is you don't have optic cables or a cloaking ability 
nor can you strangle enemies from afar like everyone's favourite, Eric Bain. <laughs> what I'm saying is that you don't have a plethora of like gadgets or traps or abilities, and that's mostly fine. Thematically, it wouldn't make sense for Lara to be this superhero or a James Bond type with a lot of spy gadgets. You know, like as the game is want to remind you, a survivor is born is the tagline. This is Lara Croft's origin story, so she can't be this Batman-like figure just yet. No, little side note, there are loads of inconsistencies narratively, which we will get on to. I'm just saying this is an archaeologist in her early 20s who must learn how to survive in the wilderness. Now, what has that got to do with stealth? So... In Tomb Raider, whether you can approach a situation stealthily is on this game. So sometimes you will reach an area and guards will rush out with weapons, right? Ready for combat Mm. and it's just all out action. Other times then you'll happen upon a group of enemies that are patrolling or standing there and having a chat about Lara or the island that you're on where the game takes place or just idle chit chat right and these encounters can often be tackled stealthily and in fact in replaying Tomb Raider in the past fortnight I was actually a bit surprised by how often these occur like there there are a lot more opportunities for stealth than I was anticipating I remember there being it, it being a viable um option at points but I, I there were more than maybe I, I uh, remembered but in a sense and like a lot of things in Tomb Raider there is a scriptedness to the stealth mm. you're on this roller coaster but, well a more sedate roller coaster I guess just a little a little shit one at like Thorpe Wicksteed Park or Thorpe but you're not at Alton Towers you're not fully on Oblivion or something but you're on one of the minor ones because yeah. most combat encounters feel like you are on rails like you are you you are going through effectively corridors some corridors are wider than others some corridors are outside but you're almost always being led down a path from A to B and that isn't a red card offense of course Christ. This describes a lot of video games. The thing is that Tomb Raider doesn't hide it from you very well, which obviously makes it stand out more than some other similar games. For sure. Because like at the beginning of those encounters where you're able to approach things more stealthily, and I know this is something everyone here wants to talk about, I, I think anyway, you'll see Lara grab her bow from her back Uh, she'll go from standing up straight to a crouched position and the first guard you come across will often be ripe for a silent takedown, strangling or an axe in the back while the other three or four in this area will likely have to be picked off with arrows through their heads. And that's kind of the formula. And like the more open areas and the strength of the bow as a weapon, uh, I'll talk about in a minute. And that definitely does mask the sameness somewhat. But here, it, it is quite noticeable. Mm. I think that's something you took from it as well, Adam, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so, because it just kind of kills the little bit of tension for me. Like, I don't need... Now, it does this thing where you don't, you don't have the option to crouch. You cannot do... Like, it happens, but it automatically happens. I just hate that now today in in a game I just it's very very frustrating but every every encounter feels as you say Colm it's it is it is scripted to a point of 
telling you you're about to approach this group of enemies. Now, for me, I didn't feel any sort of like kind of tension there because I'm like, okay, I know this is happening already. They chat. However, there are moments as well where there can be enemies together, as you said, two of them there and then the others are walking around. Sometimes I, ha- I you have situations where you the enemies don't walk away from each other. There was two guys in particular that I remember in the area. They're just they're just right there. Just the conversation has stopped. They're just staring at each other. It doesn't feel like the the stealth is in your hands. It, it like I had an area I had an area where um where there was these two lads back to back, and I took one out, and then then the other guy just casually turns around. He's just like, and I mean back to back, no, like, and it's like, bang, arrowed into the head, drop down, guy turns around, I'm just like, his reaction is appalling straight away, I killed him, like, there's a guy then who goes, are you alright down there? And he drops down this huge ladder, and as he's coming down, you're just like, bang, gone as well, and he just rolls out a scream. None of this feels like it's in my control, it's like, you have to do this, not all the time. But mostly it happens. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Josh. But did you quite like the game taking some of the control away from you when it came to this, you know, the crouching automatically, the taking out the bow, the all that? I did because, and I appreciate what you're saying, Adam. And actually I, I do agree. I, it's just the thing is, and usually I, I, I'm just like, uh, just like you, like I don't, like I like more control in a stealth game. You know, I like a button to snap to cover. I like a button to crouch. And we're just doing this off the back of Splinter Cell. So it's a bit of a culture shock. But I would say that the, the context sensitive stuff, um, it works quite well in, in the sense that like it, it, it never got in the way. It, it, all, it never f- fucked up. And that's obviously super important with content because, you, you know, you play Assassin's Creed where one button does everything and the guy's doing accidental backflips. He's falling off doors. He's doing all sorts. But in this, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, she really does just get behind everything you need her to get behind. So number one, it, it just worked very well. I just thought it just kind of hit me like, wow, that's super fucking unobtrusive. Um, this sort of thing often fucks up in games. And just sort of fair play, it didn't this time. But the other, the other thing was, and I fully appreciate what you said with the with the um, super scripted. It's a fella down a ladder. I shoot him in the head. Mm. I meant to shoot him in the head. He'll be falling off that ladder. Yeah, each and every time I play the game. But like, one of the things I like is when she gets the bow out and she kind of drops down into a little crouch. It is obvious and you're totally right. Like it does kill the tension. But the other thing it does, which I kind of do appreciate, is that it lets you know exactly what's going on. Because one of the problems, I think this game is kind of similar to The Last of Us in like a few ways and kind of different in in a lot of ways as well. But it's got a lot of similarities with The Last of Us. And I remember when we were talking about The Last of Us, one of the problems with that game was that it doesn't always communicate to you like, oh, you 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 can totally get past this bit and sneak past it. And because but because you never know that and you never know when they're gonna go, no, no, this is just one of them bits where you just gotta kill everyone, then I go, well fine, I'm just always gonna kill everyone though, because I don't want to sneak through and then have to go back. The thing I like about this is they're sort of going, Yeah, it's prescriptive. Yeah, we've sorted it all out for you. But we were honest about that. We're upfront about that. She's dropped into a crouch, so you know what's going on. If I'm getting bullshit, 
plug up the gutter lanes, blockbuster, AAA video games that hold my hand, I'm sort of like, fair play. That's a pretty novel way to hold my hand. I mean, it was never unclear. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I did want to mention the guards, and I guess it's kind of similar to something you said, Adam, about, I, I guess, you know, the, oh, the guards have a path and the guards do this, that and the other. Like, from my experience, guards very rarely see dead bodies. Like, at least, at least once they're dead. They can see you kill one of their bodies. Glara has a detective vision called Survivor Instinct, which highlights things in game, one of which being enemies. And if an enemy is highlighted red, that means that enemy can be seen by another enemy. But if they're highlighted white, they can't be seen by anyone and they're just free to be killed. Mm. Guards, patrolling routes and sight lines mean they'll rarely discover corpses on the ground. It's a bit silly, but Mm -hmm. in fairness, Lara can't drag bodies. It would be terribly unfair if guards could spot them. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. does support my roller coaster analogy. Yeah, we're back to that. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge of a single guard is like the anticipation of a drop in the track. You're like, oh, yeah, you've, yeah. Killed the, you've killed the guard, drop, right? Yeah. But the corpse is the part of the track that you've gone past and you, you'll never need to worry about that. <laughs> Like these guards pose a threat in the right now. And then once they're gone, they're gone. There's no middle ground. You could say the same for when they see you, I suppose. Yeah. Like there's no evasion state. Like once they have been alerted of your presence, they go absolutely banana. Mm. And they will try to end you until you end them. It's one or the other. <laughs> Someone's going to die tonight. Let's dance. Mm. But we're, we're going to talk about that more in in the boom boom section anyway but and i think you make a fair point as well josh like there are prescribed things and etc cetera, etc cetera, but that visual language uh, uh does help as well mm. guards will never find a dead body and it's like well if they did then it would be annoying because yeah we Lara haven't done hide stuff dead for that bodies. yeah she can't do it so we'll take that away yeah one yeah. thing i want to talk about the bow is banging Mm-hmm. A, a decade later and it still feels really good yeah. like when Tomb Raider was coming out and the hype was building around t- t- 2012 I suppose especially I do remember people calling it you know the year of the bow yeah. and the era of the bow and all that games were really latching for some reason really latching on to like bow and arrow and crossbows but the bow and arrow isn't the only way to silently take down enemies as previously mentioned, you can silently take down enemies from behind with, you know, with just a button press with like an axe to the back or a, a str- you can strangle them, whatever. There are also silencer upgrades for your pistol and for your assault rifle. But I only ever pulled those guns out when things were getting wild. Mm. Like when I was being sneaky survivor, I was just flinging arrows at these bastards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because... Mm-hmm. For multiple reasons. It's naturally silent anyway, obviously. It's a bit of bow and arrow. But it's also way more accurate than your other weapons. Oh, gotcha. There's no recoil. It just, mm. it feels great. The zoom to, as to well. To pop guys from afar. You have the zoom that turns it into a, a sniper bow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, you, you know, you can upgrade it to like penetrate armor. 
Lara gets special arrows. I don't know why that. Who cares? <laughs> I don't. The bone arrows, good crack. And it, and also like like when I was using Sam's little hop as a stealth distraction tactic in Splinter Cell, we spoke about on the episode two weeks ago. I really enjoyed shooting an arrow at a point in the environment, yes. like you'd you know throw a rock in a Far Cry. Effectively, for those that didn't play, and. You don't get this loads, or at least I'm struggling right now to think of a similar thing. But uh, your weapon also doubles as a means to draw enemies to a specific point mm. in your environment. As I said, like rocks in Far Cry, like the bottles in uh, Last of Us, like the coke cans in Splinter Cell. But in Tomb Raider, it's it's your weapon as well. And and like while a lot of the game does take place in as I mentioned these corridor like situations I think it feels great when you're in the slightly more open areas and in fairness there are a few of these two but the one that really stands out to me and I, I, I'll mention it because I don't think anyone has put it in their most notable area I was close to but I want to talk about something else there but there's this large open forest section I believe it's after you escape the Solari Fortress. So it's all bombastic and ah, mm. in that previous section, explosive, set PC, etc., etc. And then after that, you're into this really wide forest, loads of guards patrolling, every guard far enough away from the others that you're able to tackle each of them like their own little mini puzzle. And the solution to each of these mini puzzles is basically an arrow in their heads <laughs> to each of the guards. So, you know, solution is the same. But nevertheless, I, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of difference, I suppose, because you can stalk them on the ground or you can move from platform to platform in the trees above using ropes that connect the platforms. Mm. And you can pick off enemies below. Like, while I said there are a few of these inner areas, None are as thrilling as that open forest bit. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah. I, I really, it's really fantastic. Like I wasn't spotted once, and I was just going around sneaking about, uh, trying to pop these lads. I thought that bit was great, and really made me yearn for more of that. Yes, yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the problem. It's one of the things I put in my notes was that like, so I sort of raised us doing this game just as an idea because like i remembered exactly the bit you're talking about and i remember thinking oh yeah that was really cool in actual fact i think i was more remembering like the sub the games after this like rise of the tomb raider and shadow of the tomb raider i think they would look at that bit and they would then go on to build that out way more because there's way more stealth in the sort of sequels you sort of think like well okay if the whole thing is this whole survivor uh mentality thing then it would feel way closer to something like a the last of us or something where you, where, you, where that really is a sort of survival experience whereas with this it's like as I kind of said today, the stealth is there sometimes as like a, oh, I do this for like 30 seconds or a minute. And when it goes wrong, just whip out the bloody machine gun and go mental. Like mm. that doesn't feel very survivory. You would think with, like with the game's themes and like, well, the front cover, you know, it's her stood on, mm-hmm. stood on the thing with the bow and arrow. And it's like kind of funny how it doesn't, doesn't really lean on that stuff as much although i do like the thing that you touched on the um 
And they put it in the tutorial as well, like just the thing of the misdirection, because then that bit, you know, sort of luring guards with the bow to, to a little spot where you want to kill them is quite fun as the well. The boar really is, though, everything you said, um, Colin, completely agree. It is absolutely the best weapon in the game. It's the most fun. However, I just do want to touch upon the, the, the whole, like, distracting kind of thing with the arrows, because I never used it. Oh, really? It. Okay. It wasn't good enough it, it, to cause such a distraction to make the enemies really spread out and kind of do something. And then I'm like, all right, now I can pin you all off. I felt like it was always just a bit of like, it was very minor mm. for me. It's just more fun to just shoot them with the arrow than shoot it at a wall. But it's great. The ropes and stuff like that and fire arrows are great. And that was, that, that's a joy. It's far better than any of the other weapons. One thing we haven't spoken about, we've spoken a lot about killing humans sneakily but we haven't spoken about killing pigs and crabs and, and turkeys crows well. and turkeys yeah. yeah and deer sometimes yeah there's, yeah there's a bit of hunting in this game josh wise that i know you wanted to talk about there is and i mean it's funny because in a way it, it is like it's where this game is most stealthy like you really do need to creep around when you're going after the especially like deer because they get spooked quite easily. It reminded me a little bit of The Last of Us, actually, when Ellie has to hunt the, the, the deer. You do, yeah, you do yeah. actually have to move quite slowly and be quite sneaky. The problem with it is that I never really did it after the tutorial, and it's a real shame, because it just is just quite good, and, you know, you get a load of craft stuff to craft extra upgrades with. Like, if you do loads of the hunting, it does reap rewards. Um... And it is actually sort of where the, like, when you do that stuff, you're like, oh yeah, oh, that's, that's why, that's why this is a stealth game more, because it's that stuff as well. And when you add that stuff, it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's pretty substantial. But the problem is you never do it. So, you know, I thought I'd point that out. But it's actually quite good. It works quite well. If I did it, it was just because, and I was just running about, and there was a pig in front of me, and I'd be like, <laughs> get over here, throw a few arrows inside him. And also, we should say, like, you're not, uh, you know, you're, you're grinding for XP. These animals don't provide you meat to cook and whatever else. It's, it's literally XP. The game operates on two systems, basically. XP to level up your character, or salvage, which you'll get in just uh, objects that are scattered about the place, little crates and so on and so forth. And this salvage uh, you then put into upgrading your weapons. So when you kill an, an animal, you just get XP. And that's sort of it. So it feels a bit nothingy. And also I would say as well, and I, 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 I didn't put this in the notes, but I, I will add it here because I think you've touched on it. Like... This game would, in my opinion, be just a lot, a lot better if they just sort of said, we're doing the Metroidvania thing and everything that you get in this game is just based on the gear. This game doesn't need skill trees. It's Tomb Raider. Like, just have her find another tool and add that to her arsenal. What's funny is they actually hedge their bets and it actually does that as well. She gets upgradable bow parts anyway, but then also that feeds into the skill trees. Like, get rid of the skill trees. So that is what we thought of the stealth of Tomb Raider. So we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to talk about the Boom Boom. 
Okay then, let us continue our discussion of Tomb Raider 2013 and we're going to be talking about the most noteworthy mission level or area that stood out to each of us. But before that, we are going to talk about the boom boom of Tomb Raider, which is basically the more explosive parts of the game after we have discussed the stealth and also just other gameplay bits as well that just aren't stealthy. And the first thing I wanted to mention was the more explosive combat. And I've spoken about how the bow is great, and it is, it's the best in the game. But I did also want to talk about how the action in this game really turns the combat into something else. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't become an RTS or a tower defense <laughs> or a CCG or whatever. It is very much the same game. But what I mean is that you're not allowed to camp in one spot. And I do like that, especially when the more stealthy approach does revolve around you sniping people from afar and often from maybe not ex- the exact same spot, but at least from the general area. Mm. So once all hell breaks loose, a huge portion of enemies from, say, gun-wielding heavies to grunts with axes, they're going to go for you. And I mean go for you. Like, some of the lads are content with just sitting behind waist-high cover, but I would say that the enemies in this, on the whole, are more aggressive than enemies in some similar games. Mm. Like, they are going to try and rush you basically. Mm, mm -hmm. And the ones that are content with waiting behind waist high walls, they're going to be chucking endless grenades at you. And it Mm -hmm. is relentless. And I like that because it means you're moving constantly. And because I exclusively use the bow in quieter moments, this gave me an opportunity to be switching between my shotgun and my assault rifle when things were loud. And I was switching quite a bit. And, uh, you know, obviously when you get the grenade attachment on your rifle, things get incredibly action movie silly. It's stupid. But the the, the assault rifle and the shotgun, they are definitely not as good as the bow. Like they don't feel as accurate as I mentioned. And it's just, the, the bow is just a lot more fun. So I'm not saying that the more action focused bits are as good as, say, that big open area that I mentioned, the kind of stealthy bit, by any stretch. But they're serviceable, and I I suppose I am more talking about how the combat just feels a bit different. There are some big issues with the action moviness, narratively, but in terms of sheer explosive boom-boom-ness, I guess, it's mostly good crack. Isn't it, Adam Carroll? It absolutely is not. What? Um, How dare you? (laughs) This is like the lowest point of the game for me personally. There's quite a lot of the game. (laughs) (laughs) But like when these sections happen, this could be fucking any game. There's like this could be any sort of game of this kind of nature. Like with it being a Tomb Raider game, there's nothing that feels Tomb Raider here because Lara doesn't have any sort of cool acrobatic stuff going on she can't stick to the wall she can't pop up and shoot with like it's all <laughs> as you say column right you get overrun like the, you 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 are sitting behind a, like a wall or something like that and the enemies are launching those grenades and i mean pinpoint accuracy like it is like right down by your toes which means you have to 
do that stupid weird scramble with circle which I played on the PlayStation and you press circle and you, she does that weird kind of like scramble where she doesn't know what, what's going on <laughs> and you are just like immediately out in the open with enemies just storming towards you and you're just like this is this is going to shit this feels completely messy like so unbelievably messy and there's no skill it's it's it mainly always feels like luck have i jumped in the right direction to just not be in the line of fire of that enemy over there because she dies incredibly quick <laughs> and i dread to think what this game is like on its hardest difficulty in these moments. Thankfully, some of your guns have like, like the, they have like grenades and things like that, which are like, for me, I'm just like, sh- fucking shoot them all over the place. Happy days. Let's hope this get, gets a ton of enemies. And it does for the most part. But 90% of the time, these sections are irritating because it's one thing also to have like standard, like 10 enemies come out to you. But then when you bring out the big, massive tank, you lads, with all the armor, you're just like, oh, for fuck's sake. It is frustrating beyond belief. I never liked them and I could never get really good at them because there is no way of getting good at them. I totally disagree. I actually didn't die loads. I, d- I disagree with there's no way of getting good at them. Do you honestly think, though, point like... The, point the gun at the lad and press the shoot <laughs> button. No, 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 no. It, it's not that. Be- it's not just like that because... It's it, you can say that like it feels accurate and tight. Oh, no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Like as I said, the bow is definitely the most accurate. It is the best weapon. You ain't whipping that out in these moments. No, you're not. Well, unless you upgrade the bow and you get your explosive arrows, of course. But it's not Gears of War, all right? If we we want to you know, gonna no. go, go. You are on the ground and you're just running around in a weird circle. I think you're moving from cover to cover, like you, like it. It very much becomes an action game. Like it's not to compare it to Uncharted. Uncharted is a cover shooter where you are, you know, you're hiding behind cover, you're popping up. Like Tomb Raider is very, it's it's way more frantic, at least from what I remember of Uncharted. So yeah, it's it's way more action based, certainly, and and you are out in the open a lot more. Again, I I don't know why I'm becoming the fucking Tomb Raider defender here. I believe I use the word serviceable, <laughs> and and it it, it is like uh, you know I like there were points where I was like yeah this is all right like I was never this is gaming I am a survivor. <laughs> Josh Wise, you spoke about really enjoying the you know Lara pulling out the bow and crouching down and all that for the stealth. Did you like it for the shootouts? No. So this is, it's kind of weirdly ties into what you guys were just saying. I think like I, I actually like played Uncharted 1 and started playing Uncharted 2 while I was playing this game. Cause I thought it'd be an interesting comparison because they do do some things really similarly. And uh, the combat in, in Tomb Raider, it, it is like super frantic, but it's, it's for me, not really a patch on Uncharted. Uh, even Uncharted 1 is, is quite a lot more methodical and it, it is, but it is different. Like it, it's closer to that Gears of War mold. I think the problem with the context sensitive stuff here, it forces the game into something that more than anything else resembles a cover shooter. So generally when, when you say, oh, it forces you to run around, it's an action game. Yes, it does. But most of the time, in my experience, what that actually comes down to is 
it forced me to run about four foot to the right to avoid a Molotov, but then immediately I just ran four foot to the left back into the same bit of cover and just then treated it as a cover shoot. Like, it's not like uncharted 4 where it's like i fucking choked a dude and then i did a grappling hook thing and flying kicked a dude up there and then i fell onto a dude from above before shooting a guy with a silence there's no real flow to Mm. tomb raider it's just no it kind of is a cover shooter but they just don't really have the mechanics to fully back that so because if you try if you try to run around you will be dead quite, quite quickly in this game. Like, Lara, even with the upgraded life, it, they very much want you to be like, mm, go into cover, but also we'll be chucking some mollies your way. So run around into some other... It doesn't have the mechanics for the... Cu- it needs the button. And I think that's as pretty much as simple as that. Like, with Uncharted, it's like you push circle... And they also throw grenades at Drake and flush him out quite well. But the way that those levels are designed is quite a bit better here. They're less linear. They will have, like Gears of War, they'll have sort of lateral cover. So you think, okay, well, they forced me out of that one, but I can actually round the corner and take the fight up here a little bit. Tomb mm-hmm. Raider, it's just, if there is any semblance of that strategy for me, it's just sort of, it's too frantic an execution for it to ever come to much. Adam, I guess you have said, you know, you didn't like the shootouts and all that. The floor is yours. Like, tell me about more of the things that you didn't like. There's two weapons in particular. One, anyway, is the axe, right? Now, I think the axe is great. You use it for mainly all the traversal up the, the, the mountains and stuff like that. And it feels quite satisfying to use. And it actually has a good sound to it, actually. But anyway, at the start of the game, I was in my head going, I remember being able to use this to hit enemies with. And for, I don't know how long, maybe, is it the first maybe two to three hours of the game? I was like, okay, maybe I can't. And as you upgrade your skill sets, you go into like tiers. So tier one, tier two, and tier three, mm. I think it is. That's or I think it's up to three anyway. But I think when you get to tier two, it just upgrades that <laughs> Lara can now swing the axe to use against enemies. And I, in my head, went, you would have been fucking better off not doing this. What's mad about it, it's not even a skill, like, it's not even a skill that you <laughs> choose. The game just, the game just goes, here, do you want that? You, you, it's here, no fear. Why couldn't I just do this from the start? Yeah, well, because also it's about the plot, right? Like, what what's really funny is it's like, Lara has just figured out that the axe can be swung into men's heads. Like, what? Why is she? Why is she unlocked it at this point? It's like she just discovered fire for the first time. She's like, wait a minute, hang on, I can swing it into their heads. This is good. It, it is a great weapon. As I said, I do lo- I do like it a lot. But that choice was so fucking odd. I don't know why she couldn't do it from the beginning. And the other thing I want to mention that I consider to be the worst weapon is the machine gun. I think the machine gun, aside from shooting grenades, is shocking. It has an awful weight to it. Its accuracy is appalling. It just kind of has this like recoil that shoots up into the air, the, the usual kind of standard thing. But what is going on with the sound of us? It sounds like pure piss. <laughs> I don't know if you lads taught it, but it, it sounds like a toy gun. It sounds straight out. Yeah. The exact same sound effect from Splatoon. That whole... 
this is the worst sounding machine gun of all time yeah. and it's crap to use I was blown away because I, I think in your head you're like oh this is going to be brilliant this known the shotgun only ever used a machine gun for the grenades but and just a quick to just an ever so slightly quick one it is slightly cool and I totally forgot this from like 10 years ago but it's just a little detail that I do that sort of which kind of makes the guns a little better I forgot that they're all like themed that they're, they're all World War Two because they're all found. They're all like because it's pilots and stuff that have crashed on Yamatai. All the guns are like like it's like because the machine gun is like a Sten gun from like World War Two. And I'd forgotten that. And she's got like a 1911. And I think the shotgun's like a Remington or something. It's like it's just kind of a small thing. It's like, oh, yeah, they're all like period like World War Two gun. Not that it. I mean, if anything, that should be no kick a lot more make a lot more noise but yeah, yeah we've spoken about a lot of pretty ridiculous things uh, in this game that always tries to straddle the line between realism and fantasy and you know we're going to be talking about more of that but I want to talk about something that I think is maybe the most ridiculous thing in this game and that's how Lara controls mm-hmm. it is so weird and to jump in not in a negative way I think more video game protagonists should control like Lara. <laughs> and I know I've already said you don't have superhero abilities, but in fairness, the way Lara traverses the environment is pretty MCU. <laughs> Even if we disregard things like, you know, incredible upper body strength, blah, blah, blah. Tomb Raider wasn't the first to do this. It's not, it's not the last. I'm more talking about... Jesus, it's hard to kind of articulate, which is obviously handy for a podcast. The best way is to give an example, right? So when you have Lara jump from standing, it's so stupid. Eight eight metres into the air with full control in mid-air. You can wiggle your analogue stick from left to right very quickly and Lara will follow your exact input. So she will sort of stutter in mid-air, wiggling herself from left to right. And yes, Josh, you have full control of her <laughs> while she is in the air, like uh, fucking talking about her like she's in an airplane or something. <laughs> it's like, you can, like a bullet from, the, uh, from a gun in the film Wanted, curve Lara around objects in mid-air. Yeah. And funnily, it wasn't Angelina Jolie in I was just about to film, say, I, yeah, Angelina Jolie, Lara Croft, there's the connection. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> like She's more nimble than your average climbing protagonist too, in that she can scramble up a wall mid-climb, even if there is nothing to grab a hold of. It is so stupid, <laughs> but I really enjoy it. I really enjoy that you have full control of this person. So again, like, you know, she's not a superhero, but... She, she basically, basically is. is when she is in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she's a survivor, you know. So she, true. she's relatable, but she has to survive. So yeah, and I put that. I put down that basically what you just said. The leapfrog wall jump thing is utterly mad, um, but it does work, and I do like it. And it it's kind of like you know those things in Uncharted where they've got like. You know, I think usually it's like, oh, you, you know, that bit of the wall's a bit pale and you can sort of tell where you're supposed to climb up because you, f- you follow the slightly coloured thing. Obviously, they do that in Tomb Raider as well, but they just throw in a few, like, nice little 
bits to mix it up a little bit. Like it's like, oh yeah, you know, that bit of wall is a bit of wall that Lara just happens to be able to leapfrog off. And then you've got the little, uh, the pickaxe. And so she can hack her way into certain patches of wall. They, they throw in like enough things to just add a little bit of spice to that stuff. And it, I think mm-hmm. it does do better than Uncharted in, 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 in some ways anyway, in that, in that platforming. It just gives you a few little extra bits of spice to think about. You feel like you're doing something. Yeah. Like, which in, in the early Uncharted games in Christ, we spoke about it earlier this year, Altair uh, in Assassin's Creed. You know, it, it's not Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom, but you feel like you're actively involved in the climbing yeah yeah when when it comes to like leaping and then pressing another button to like uh, jam the pickaxe into the jagged rock especially in this game where so much of it's context sensitive it is cool that the one thing that they were like you know let's actually give them more control in is the thing that makes tomb raider tomb raider i thought that was cool one thing i wanted to mention it's kind of I, i will stress when i said the combat was was serviceable like it yeah it's it's fine in my eyes, right? But it does feel old. You walk into a room, you clear the room of baddies, you move on to the next room. And this is obviously cushioned by the fact that the game does give you the opportunities to be more stealthy, but that is still present. And so much of this game feels so dated. Like the set pieces where you're running through a building that's crumbling to the ground. There's even a Crash Bandicoot style running towards the camera section. (laughs) There are the, I think we mentioned them, didn't we? We did. The QTs during cutscenes, which are often just press the Y or triangle button, depending on what you're playing on when you're prompted. The game is hunting, which Josh spoke about, but it's, you know, fairly pared back hunting. There's a ridiculous amount of collectibles. (laughs) Uh, Like, uh, it's been said loads already. But the Uncharted influence... And I would say the PlayStation formula influence Mm -hmm. is in everything in this game. And in 2013, that may not stand out as much, but Jesus wept in 2023. And maybe this says more about the advances made in some examples of this type of game. Some. But that PlayStation formula is so fucking tired. The Tomb Raider 2013, it does feel like a relic in so many ways. And... It's not even that, like, I'm a massive QTE hater or I have a huge disdain for collectibles or RPG systems or blah, 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 blah. Like, I finished this game with a full completion of, like, 85% or something. I, I did a decent amount of the needless side stuff, but it was just the grind. You know, like whenever I got a collectible, I would take my XP and I would move on. I wouldn't have any interest in the shite that Lara was spouting about. She'd go, oh, this is something from the don't care, moving on. How much XP was that? Cool. It just feels old. Now, I know there is one of the things that I said in there, Adam, that you bloody loved. Yes, and that is those uncharted action scripted moments. I completely know what you're saying and like... you can't really argue the case on it. like. But when it comes to those QT events, I think the ones I'm, I I kind of go, oh, I hate these kind of ones, is something like along the lines of when a character is grabbing her and you just have to mash square in order for her to do that kicking. Them, them ones, they are super dated. They're not fun. There's, there's nothing to them. But I am an absolute sucker for the whole, like, 
this whole thing is falling down and I am running and I'm jumping and you're always going to make it. It's very easy to get through these things. But the first time I ever experienced that in Uncharted, I was floored. I was like, that was unreal. They are dated. They're, they're not for but everyone I, I, now, I do but... think that, like, I know it's it's easy to tar everything with the same brush because I think un, un, specifically Uncharted 2 is responsible for a lot of the way action you know action games went for the next well forever but uh again like having played uncharted 2 just just this week like it's also notable how no one else does them as well as uncharted like the stuff that turns up here when lara runs and some stuff collapses it's okay it's decent it's a, it's a fairly decent imitation from a studio that just doesn't quite have it but when you play like uncharted 2 and even one now those moments still have a lot of power. They're so, so well directed. There's enough in Tomb Raider's moments. I do get that rush, like where you, the bridge is collapsing and I'm running, but and you're kind of going, which beam am I supposed to jump to? You know, but that, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. The way they have designed it, I like that kind of thing because I did once or twice go, oh, fuck, I jumped in the wrong area or something. And that to me is, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a rush. So that is what we thought of the boom boom of Tomb Raider. So now we're going to talk about the most noteworthy mission leveler area of the game that stood out to each of us. Josh Wise, why don't you start us off? I I suppose I should say for new listeners, this isn't, you know, always our favourite bit or whatever. It is just the thing that stood out to us for whatever reason. So yeah, what stood out to you in Tomb Raider? Coincidentally, I think this is also my favourite moment in the game, but I chose the the, sort of the the part of the game where uh, early on, only a a few hours in, Lara has to uh, get enough signal for her radio to call for help to let people know she's been marooned on the island. And there's one of those big, planes like a was it a b52 one of those big planes circling nearby and in order to get the signal for this radio she has to climb a radio cell tower and it's quite simple like all all, all you need to do is get up high and it's not the, the, you know the climbing mechanics on this particular bit aren't like uh revolutionary it's a it's a pretty blockbuster set pc moment and it's all kind of made fairly clear what you have to do but you but there is a nice tension because she's climbing up this radio tower and it's sort of collapsing as she goes the little rungs like bend and break a little bit and she gets higher and higher and higher and the air gets thin and the wind gets really strong and there's a sort of tension of like oh wow you know you're you're really up high and you sort of think oh this this scene's been going on for like a couple minutes you have to sort of and i when she finally gets there and gets right to the top and gets this like signal i it sort of hit me that like it that that is the closest thing to like old tomb raider because and i I haven't really spoken about this bit yet because it's like we're we're talking more about the stealth and 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 the boom boom as as fits our name but like i am also uh just like a really big fan of tomb raider and i think this modern trilogy whatever you make of it just isn't Tomb Raider in any recognisable way from what the series was. And th- and this moment was a nice reminder of what these games... A sad reminder of, like, what these games were once about. They were about being alone and it being quiet and you having time to think in often stressful situations and working out just how to get from one place to another 
with a woman's athletic abilities. And that was it. It was just, and it was tense because of that. You felt lonely because of that. And it just, and it just worked. And of course the difference is, and the reason why it's sad is that, you know, years ago, it would actually be a really good challenge. You know, it would be, oh, okay. How am I going to make her get there then? Yeah. You, you know, back in the day with Tomb Raider, you had to jump, but you also had to hold down a button while in midair to make her grab the ledge in question. Otherwise she'd just fall. You know, th- these really were climbing games. And this one little bit, I just sort of is a little bit melancholy. I was just a bit like, oh yeah. But yeah, so it was just squinting through the sort of like blockbuster haze at the sort of shape of what these games used to be about, really. Well, I don't have a ton of nostalgia for like you know the the original mm. games the core core design games mm-hmm. but one thing i am aware of is the name of the game and that is tomb raider <laughs> and what i wanted to highlight as the the missionaria that stood out to me was the well of tears secret tomb in this game and honestly i could have picked any of them i just want to talk about how disappointing the tombs are on the whole I've just given you one tomb. And I'll explain the tomb. But I I should say, I'm not talking about the tombs that pop up in DLC, just the tombs in the base game. I didn't have the, any DLC. So firstly, it's insulting how much the game points you in the direction of these things. Because you'll be pootling about one of the exploratory areas. You'll hear a kind of jingling sound followed closely by secret tomb nearby on screen. And typically, if you follow some carvings on walls, you'll find said tomb. Mm. And I suppose also there'll be a, an icon in your map. So four ways. Just in case you missed it. yeah. <laughs> Once you're inside the tomb, Lara will comment about how incredible it is or whatever. And then about one to two minutes later, you're walking out with some XP. And that's it. And that is fucking it <laughs> for a game called Tomb Raider. <laughs> It is staggering how much of a disdain there appears to be for these puzzle rooms. To to go back to the example I chose, right? The Well of Tears tomb. This is in the shanty town. And once you're once you're in there, once you're in this tomb, you'll see a platform in front of you that is raised in the air. You'll then find these petrol drums that are scattered about the place. You must fire these on top of the raised platform, which will then lower the raised platform to the ground. Once it's down, you go to the now on the ground platform. You throw one of these cans off the platform, which will then see said platform start to raise once more. So then you run up to higher ground, you jump onto the platform while it's being raised, and then you quickly jump onto a patch of ground, a solid ground on the left. And then you're done. And that is it. (laughs) I swear to God, rather than me be your Tomb Raider guide and give you solutions to each of the, was it six or seven other tombs? I will just ask, dear listener, that you trust me when I tell you that every other tomb in this game has a similarly simple solution. I remember these being underwhelming a decade ago, but I was floored by how underwhelming they are when playing the game again in the past fortnight. They are shite. I didn't mind them. 
you are out of your mind. I felt like I walked in, okay, what situation, what story, okay, there, 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 off we go, happy days, grand. I completely agree, Colin, for a game that's called Tomb Raider, they really just shit the bed on focusing on the tombs. It is underwhelming, there isn't enough of them, they're not super creative, but... I was fine with them, and I think I think also what it what what one of the other things because I think one it sort of chimes with something else that you that you said there is that I, I think and it's the same with the climbing in a weird way all of our sort of bits and moments that we picked kind of reached to a similar point and that is like they're almost afraid of what these games used to be and I think it's a little bit of the old hitman syndrome where they've they, you know they've got the data. And the data says, well, actually, only bloody 10% of people ever finish these, so we're going to change the way we do them. I think they're just terrified that a modern blockbuster audience, a mainstream massive audience, will just look at a properly complicated puzzle and go, nah, fuck that. And the thing is, what, what, the one thing about that is, shame on you, because actually, you know, don't look at a blockbuster mainstream audience and presume them to be stupid and actually Uncharted eats Tomb Raider's lunch in that regard. Some of the environmental puzzle design in Uncharted 2 is phenomenal and like has a good challenge. But the other thing is like, oh, well, what would a tomb actually look like if we tried to make it more grounded? And it reminded me of like, at the beginning of Casino Royale, they try to do the Bond like gun barrel sequence, but they're like, Ah, well, we're not going to do an actual gun barrel sequence to open the movie. We're going to put it in the world. And it's like, you know, a, a guy aims at Bond and then he has to turn around. It's like, oh, I get what they're doing. They've done a gun barrel, but it's like in the real world. I get a similar vibe with these tombs because it's like, it's cool Tomb Raider and we are sort of doing, we're paying them lip service, but they're not going to be the grand old fantastical tombs of old. They're going to be like miserable. Well, they're going to be crypts. They're going to be literally there's a body in there and that's it. It just feels like a, a limp bit of like lip service, really, of just like, oh, that's sad. You were afraid to do it almost. Adam, tell me, Josh, and the lovely listeners at home, what area or mission or whatnot stood out to you? I won't spend too long on this because there isn't really a whole pile to say, but uh, the whole area of Shantytown that you mentioned there, where you go, Colm. It's just my least favourite part of the game. I Well, area, I suppose. It just, it's just really massive. It's like the game wants to spend a ton of time here when I'm just like, oh, I, why is this all of a sudden the area that I have to be spending all my time in? There's an overwhelming amount of a ton of enemies coming through, which is, as I stated earlier, I wasn't enjoying all those shootouts. And I just didn't like the traversal side of it. It's all, it's all very rooftop shady kind of things and I it it just doesn't gel it's it's not it just feels like I'm playing a completely different world all of a sudden and like once I got past it then like we came back to it later on in the game again Shantytown we're back I was like oh why 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 are we here again <laughs> not my area at all well that is what we thought of the boom boom and the mission or level or area that stood out to each of us. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about Tomb Raider's story and just anything else we have to mention as well at the end in our little miscellaneous section. So we will be back right after this. All right, then. Now we need to talk 
about the narrative, the story and the characters of Tomb Raider. Let me start off by saying I pretty much hate everything about the story of Tomb Raider. (laughs) I remember thinking it was poor when I played it originally and it's worse than I remember. As I mentioned in my recap during Back of the Box, the plot just repeats itself over and over. Lara's mm. caught. She escapes. Lara's caught. She escapes. Oh, Sam is caught. Lara narrowly misses her. Sam is caught. Lara saves her. She's caught again. And like, I just do not care about the supernatural stuff. No. One of the game's biggest failings is, and we'll talk about this when we zero in on Lara a bit more. And I mentioned this earlier as well, I think. Like Tomb Raider tries to straddle the line between realism and fantasy. And I just think it doesn't do either very well. No. It, it it tries to be this grounded story about a young woman's survival whilst also having her do exposition dumps about a supernatural power on the island that we very rarely see until the end. And <laughs> I have a clip here that I wanted to play for the people. This is Lara finding the corpse of Himiko, the Sun Queen. And in this clip, she comes to the realisation that after they've been searching for the the ancient lost city of Yamatai, they are here. This is the island. They are on Yamatai. And you'll hear her describing some paintings on the wall. And even though something might be lost by not seeing it, Lara is going to make everything clear by vocalising every single thought she has inside her head. This kind of goes back to me saying, you know, there are a lot of things in this game that dates it. Because, my God chatty protagonists when there's nobody else around. <laughs> this is a clip of Lara talking about Himiko and the Yamatai and all that. So take a listen to this. A sun queen and a storm god. Himiko, the fast sun queen. This is Yamatai. I'm glad that you clipped that because I thought I was going nuts when I was playing this game and I don't know what I was doing 10 years ago and I don't know what everyone was doing 10 years ago but the delivery 
is just a. Tr- it's one of the worst in recent memory. Honestly, it's atrocious. Camilla Luddington, you know, I'm sure she's. A, I'm sure she's a good actor. I, 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 I remember her in a small role in Californication. I, I, I don't really remember if she was very good. It's just all. I, I don't want to blame her. Blame the the um, the directors. The director of cinematics is Corey Barlog, Mister God of War. So uh, all of the cutscenes in this game is um is is Corey Barlog's direction. But it's just atrocious, isn't it? Every cutscene, I just thought, oh, God. It's what drove me to, to play Uncharted, just to get away from it. She's such a bad person to hang out with. We'll talk more about Lara, I guess, in, in a moment, because I did want to talk about the secondary characters, specifically how rubbish they are and how I didn't care about any of them. The game does try to flesh them out via a camcorder that Lara finds very early on and it shows some footage of these characters on the Endurance, the boat. I keep saying the Endurance. I mean, I mentioned this off the top, but yeah, that's the boat that they arrive on the island. This uh, footage of them on the Endurance uh, tries to flesh out the characters and all that, but their lack of involvement during the bulk of the game means I just don't care. Mm. I just do not care about any of these characters. Roth is all right, maybe. But like, aside from him, it's like, meh. Like all of the characters' arcs are so predictable, like Whitman's double cross. I mean, it is foreshadowed so heavily that yeah. you think the game is actually going to swerve you and go the other way. But it doesn't. He just double crosses you. Like that, that's all that happens. I did want to play the clip of the first time you meet the villain though, Matthias, because... And I said this as well when giving you the story recap. It is quite clear. And, you know, music does add to this as well, um, which I guess the characters in the scene don't have. Uh, But it's quite clear Matthias is a bastard from the moment you meet him. But yes, for some reason, Lara and her friend Sam trust him. I don't know why, but they do. So uh, the clip here, the setup is that Lara, she's been shipwrecked. This is very early on. She's shipwrecked. She's searching for her friends and she finds one, which is Sam, her, her best friend. And this mysterious man called Matthias. So take a listen to this and tell me that this is a trustworthy man. Lara, you made it. Sam. Um, Thank goodness. Surprise. It's okay. He's one of us. Sorry if I startled you. This place would make anyone a little jumpy. We just spoke to your crew. They're on their way. Look, he bandaged my foot. (laughs) Oh, it was the least I could do. My manners. I'm sorry, I'm Matthias. A teacher by trade. Not really cut out for island life, I'm afraid. (laughs) Sweetie, you look exhausted. Sit down. Yeah. Sam here was just telling me about the sun. Right. Him ago. Can you tell me more? I'm intrigued. Can you tell me more, (laughs) perhaps? (laughs) Like, straight away, me as the player, I'm watching this and going, why are these characters being so stupid? This is clearly Mm -hmm. the villain of the piece. Like, this is a bad person. Mm -hmm. Awful stuff. There is one Endurance crew member that I think deserves more discussion than the rest. But I know my choice differs to your choice, Adam. So can you please tell me, Josh, and our listeners, 
who Reyes is and why you're not that fond of her? I think that from the word go, she is just an asshole <laughs> all the time to Lara. Some things that she's doing, that Lara's doing, like the rest of the team are going, all right, fair play, cool. But like this one doesn't give up. And then they have this weird kind of connection all of a sudden then. Out of nowhere, they're just kind of buddies near at the end where Ray's is hurt, but Cullum Tell me about Alex. So the character in my eyes aboard the endurance that deserves more discussion than anyone in this game and perhaps anyone in the entire medium of video games is Alex. I have never, ever forgotten about this man. He has made a lasting impact. He has had a lasting impact on my life ever since I played this game in March 2013. And that is no word of a lie. His baseball t-shirt with an escape key (laughs) on it is, along with Tress effects, is one of the first things I think about any time Tomb Raider 2013 comes up. I think Alex might be one of the most pathetic characters in video games history. <laughs> he is just the biggest nerd ever. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you're meant to have some pity for this guy, but I just think he's an absolute dweeb. But that sort of asshole dweeb who thinks he's funny and charming, like it's not like he's a, you know, a kind of an, an, a, a poindexter nerd. He's an annoying shithead nerd (laughs) and like a a pathetic one at that yeah like he obviously loves Lara and he just wants Lara to notice him and there are little comments at different points in in the game Uh, you know not not loads but a couple but it all comes to a head when he goes on this suicide mission to the wreck of the endurance to grab some tools for this new boat that the crew have to fix up somehow he gets himself trapped under some pipes and metal Fecking Egypt. So Lara has to go and rescue him. Here is the audio of their interaction. And it pretty much sums up Alex. Take a listen to this. Oh, Alex. You got the tools. Finally. I impress you. Let's get you out of here. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, well, that looks like my dance career is over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make it out of here, Laura. Take the tools. Not without you. How often does a guy like me get to be a hero? No one around! The others are counting on us. Go! Now! didn't hear there was that just before Lara leaves she gives him a little pity peck on the cheek and 
I mean this with every fibre of my being. Alex may well be the biggest fucking loser I have ever encountered in a video game. And the tools that caused this whole ordeal and that cost him his life. (laughs) One spanner and one screwdriver. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't help as well. They all exist just to demonstrate that Laura's better than them. Like they're just like you see, Alex. He's not a survivor because he's because he's dead. <laughs> you know, it's just like oh, and Roth and all of them. They're, it's all just like yeah, she's better than all these people. Like they just they just exist to sort of big her up, really. Well, look, let's talk about Lara more in depth then. And uh, I, I've spoken enough. We'll get on to perhaps the Ludo narrative dissonance. Yes, if you had that on your bingo card. I know you wanted to talk about how it's quite clear, you know, they wanted to humanise this character, I suppose, Josh. This character being Lara Croft. Yeah, it's it's part of like the direction with these, the modern trilogy that I just think, I see, I see what you're doing, but don't do it. And I think the Bond movies kind of went the same way. It's just sort of like, are we going to take a character who's like basically a, a superman a super powered hero and uh we're gonna try to sort of like show the vulnerable show the human side of that and and i, I understand it and i think that like pratchett's comments come from like a good a, a, or at least an interesting place it's just i think it's a mistake to to presume that that's necessarily interesting it's like the thing about Lara Croft is that, and it seems kind of cringy now, and it seems a bit 90s, a bit bloody cool Britannia girl power and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, she was an empowering figure. She was a cool figure. There were young people that did think she was cool. She was like, you know, she she, she, she never had to worry about money because she came from wealth. So she never had to, you know... She was completely independent. She got to explore the world and do whatever she wanted. And she was much cooler than everyone else. And like that, that that was in its time an empowering thing. And like the thing with this whole vibe of just like, yeah, well, well, what if she was relatable, which actually she's not. And we totally fail at doing that. And, you know, because actually she's sort of magic from the get go. You know, it's like. I just don't think it's a good idea to try to humanise someone like... The most successful attempt, I guess, is is maybe like Uncharted 4, when they try to just put a load of like slightly ill-fitting depth into Drake's character. Like they, they, they sort of do that here. And for me, it's just like... But the result is just... It's just grim. And your answer to humanisation is just beating the shit out of this person for me like the the ultimate irony of tomb raider 2013 is that in a funny old way it's like well that quest to quote unquote empower and sort of show her as like a human character in the end you kind of end up with the ogling i mean it's not the same as get your tits out for the lads but it is just after a while like Right. I'm, I mean, I've seen this woman. I've seen the. She's gotten the shit beaten out of her. She's covered in blood and bruises and bandages. And it's kind of starting to feel a little bit leery. 
You know, it's it's kind of starting to feel a little bit like, oh, uh, I know, Cullum, you 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 sort of used you noted the word fetishistic, and I, I I would agree with that. I I don't think that it is that forward for sort of forward thinking. Weirdly, it puts its foot in it in a completely ironic way, in a sort of similar way in the originals did, but the originals actually depicted a ridiculous power fantasy. That's 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 how I feel. And whereas with this, it's just. Right, I'm watching someone who's a super person and you're just battering them for like eight hours. And also, you haven't done the groundwork. I don't know, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. You don't even know about the money, right? They don't even, in this particular game, I know they talk about it in subsequent games. In this particular game, you don't, do you even know she comes from money in this game? I don't think so. I don't think it's made clear. It's like, so, so yeah, you just go in, I don't know who this person is. She's not particularly cool. And uh, I'm just going to watch her get battered for like eight hours. And yeah, just for me, that's just a, a mistake. I understand the intention. Maybe there's an interesting way to do it. Fucked it big time in the execution for me. Probably within the first 10 minutes, maybe less actually, Lara falls 10 to 20 feet <laughs> down a hole. Yeah. <laughs> and she lands on some sort of a spike. Yep. Which drives a hole into her abdomen. You do a QTE so that she pulls it out. And I don't think it's ever referenced again. That's the end of Mr. Spike. Another time, Lara steps on a bear trap. Owie. Oh, that's sore. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. I think when Lara is captured quite early in the game, she gets punched so hard and so much right in the face. Like, we're talking about punches that look literally lethal. And I'm putting Ludo Bladdy Blad to one side for a second. Talk about that in in a minute. But the sheer violence that Lara is subjected to is outrageous. It's like a snuff film at points. From my point of view, as you said, Josh, in my notes here, I've written that there's something fetishistic about mm. the violence that she goes through. Mm-hmm. I said this earlier as well, you know, about uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not prudish. Like, I'm not squeamish either. I'm no. okay with blood yeah. and gore and violence. But there's something, something voyeuristic about the deaths that Lara goes through. It's just, it's just uncomfortable. It, no, it is. It, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you, because I... Yeah, it's a weird thing to communicate. Especially when it comes to video games, which are very violent. Yeah, you and know? I think it's because nothing material comes of it in the script. That's what's so weird about it. You you, you sit there going, well, why am I... Because their whole thing is, oh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's empowering. It's, it's a fantasy. And it's like, right, what, so the message is just you'll get battered loads and you surviving is great. That's, that's the... Imp- power like that's what i don't know what the message of any of it is just yeah p- p- pucker up you're gonna get the shit kicked out of you in in in, in life but you're a, you're a survivor so and the thing is it's like that's not great like because you're sort of effectively saying yeah well the thing that happened to her was she she she, she got beaten up and uh now she's uh james bond and that's what happens i even listen to you there and what what we're saying about it if even all these moments were spaced out more throughout the game maybe I might be a bit more because as you say Colin I'm not squeamish either in that sense I just feel like for the first five hours of this game 
it's relentless and it's just like oh just ease off on this a bit please because there is a shift in tone and characters kind of power i suppose halfway through where all of a sudden it's it becomes the lara croft that we know but we're not really going to announce it that way at all it's just like she's now amazing at like everything and is badass and so whereas at the first half is all a kind of uh, just a kind of a weakling is getting tortured like to even go as far as to like make any of the all the, make 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 any make all of the death scenes that gruesome there was no need mm. now you said there adam like at the first half of the game that you know she is she is learning i guess she is becoming the tomb raider the tomb raider that doesn't do an awful lot of tomb raiding but nonetheless mm. that is in cutscenes obviously because Ding, ding, ding. Ludo narrative dissonance. Ludo narrative deliciousness. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I appreciate that Conrad Roth uh, being um, a mentor and uh, something which we, we find out in later games that he was the surrogate father to Lara growing up. But, you know, we don't know it here. But I, I assume he may have shown Lara a few survival techniques and whatnot growing up. Mm. All right. I think the game even references mm-hmm. something of the sort at some point. So I, I, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt with that. But I do still struggle with Lara in cutscenes versus Lara in gameplay. And yes, strike me down, Lord. Tomb Raider 2013 is the, well, I won't say the, it is a perfect example of ludonarrative narrative dissonance. Mm-hmm. Few games are as perfect. And I referenced it briefly during The Last of Us, but Tomb Raider is just spot on yeah. with this. So like, in short, if you don't know, this is the conflict between what's happening during the story, during the cutscenes, and what is happening when the player is in control. And as already mentioned, and as shown in cutscenes, Lara is this young woman that is learning how to survive in this absolutely atrocious a situation you know killing a deer for her is a massive deal killing a man is an even bigger deal shock horror um but like you know she does it because she has to in order to survive but when she kills that guy she just breaks down into this kind of winded almost guttural crying and she yells out oh god and is visibly shaken by what she's done Oh God! And then immediately after this, Lara kills. I think I counted six people, and it's I mean, I mean, it's so quick. And like Lara, or um, Roth calls Lara. And Lara, she does say something like, you know, oh, I've killed, oh, it was surprisingly easy. But it just, it kills all the distress that actress Camilla Loddington was trying to convey with that first kill. I mean, it it is the issue of violent games when you want to portray a character that is either learning how to perform slash live with these violent acts but you also want the player to be action heroes. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's the fact that she's even an Olympic gymnast as well. <laughs> even in the early part of the game, like very, very early, I think just after Tomb Raider splashes up on screen, she comes across a log that connects two cliffs 
And, you know, you're obviously meant to walk across the log to get to the other cliff. And when Lara sees it in the cutscene, she's like, whoa, and I, like, oh, how this is, oh, how am I going to balance on this? But as soon as you're in control, Lara is basically a tightrope walker at the circus. It's, it's incredible. No, it's so funny. And like, I will say, <laughs> I do like Lara's transformation from the beginning of the game where she is this clean cut young woman to where she ends the game like a visually, you know, where she mm. ends the game with cuts and scratches all over her clothes, being a bit ripped and she's got caked in dirt on her. I'm not talking about like, you know, the, 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 vi- the, mm. the violence mm. uh, or the level of violence. But it, it, it shows an arc, which you can't say for any of the other characters. But the problem is that Lara is basically a stone cold killer as soon as she has a weapon. And not just at the end of the game. Yeah, like it's only in the cutscenes that it's that it's told with any sort of pace or believability. Like, yeah, and it's funny because like some uh, Ludo narrative dissidents, I I just don't really care about. Like Grand Theft Auto, um, you know, Michael in GTA Five is um in an R in over his marriage and that. But actually, I've just bazooked like ten cars and killed thirty people. But it, it, it doesn't bother me. It's just I just flip a switch. But in this particular one, you're right. It's because it's woven into everything that the game is and is trying to say. And you just sort of think Tomb Raider didn't used to have this much combat. Could, could you not have just scaled a little bit of it back and just would have made this so much more believable? That is what we thought of the characters and the story and the plot of Tomb Raider 2013. So now... We just mop anything else up that needs to be said. It's our miscellaneous section where we just add any final thoughts. And Josh, you wanted to talk about a man that we've mentioned a few times, uh, Lara's father figure. Mm, yes, Conrad Roth. Yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. A small, a small thing for the for the hardcore dweebs. Um, the first time you see Roth on the island, uh, he's like limping and that. But he's being attacked by wolves and he uh, shoots, guns them all down with like a pair of pistols. And it's just a really nice little nod to the opening of the original Tomb Raider where Lara and a Sherpa mountain guide have like opened the door of a tomb and um, wolves run out of the tomb and kill the Sherpa. But so the the first thing that you see Lara Croft doing and it's in a cutscene is she sort of like like leaps through the air and she's got two pistols and she just kills these three wolves with the two pistols and it's like a little moment where you're like oh okay they killed the Sherpa but she's a total badass and she can fucking handle it and it was just cool that they were like yeah Lara's not there yet but the first thing you see her mentor do is to kill three wolves with, with like two handguns so it's just like a nice little Sort of, ah, uh, if you're a hardcore dork, you'll totally get that. That's kind of cool. And then it's kind of echoed later with the final boss when she takes up the second. She finally has the two pistols and shoots loads. It's like, oh, she's, it's the Lara Croft thing. She's got the two guns, which she then doesn't have in Rise of the Tomb Raider, by the way. Total, like, mad moment. You think she's, like, getting that in the end of this game? No, no. She sticks to the one. Down here, Adam, you have written something and I I have no idea what, what it is. So please <laughs> explain some something about the campfire and a heat wave. When you rest at the campfire and your menu pops up and you've the choice of your skills and whatever else, the heat wave of the fire 
is causing the menu to like do the heat wave effect. The heat shimmer, yeah. And it's really fucking <laughs> annoying. It's it it just annoys me because I'm looking and I'm trying to read what I'm doing and I'm just like it's very small. It's a very nitpicking thing, but it was driving me insane. Drive me insane. So that is what we thought of Tomb Raider brackets 2013, but not actually called that. It's just called Tomb Raider. But to clarify, Tomb Raider that came out in 2013. So uh, we are going to take a quick little break and we are not going to have a little quiz. we'll, We'll come back to Who Am I at a future date. So we are now going to take a quick little break and then we will come back to give you our final thoughts on Tomb Raider, brackets 2013, not Tomb Raider 2013, just call Tomb Raider. All right, then, this part of the show is called The Verdict, because this is where we give you our final verdict on Tomb Raider. Uh, But before that, let me tell you some quotes from reviews of Tomb Raider at the time. So, first review here is... From Carolyn Pettit of GameSpot, who gave it 8.5 out of 10 and said, quote, Tomb Raider is an exhilarating action adventure that serves as a terrific origin story for the iconic Lara Croft. Simon Parkin of The Guardian gave it 4 out of 5 and said, quote, In contrast to the previous titles, Tomb Raider is a game about loss as much as it is about discovery, even if that loss is generally only expressed in the storyline, not the systems. It's also a game about survival, in a way the previous games were not. The increased peril places a greater emphasis on looting ammunition from fallen foes and on collecting salvage to improve your weapons. These violence-minded concerns that were largely absent in the past. In this way, Crystal Dynamics game loses the sharp focus of old, but gains a more wide-ranging appeal. Brad Shoemaker of Joint Bomb gave it 4 out of 5 and said, quote, Tomb Raider's tone is somewhat at odds with its action, but the reborn Lara Croft seems primed for a successful new adventuring career. Chris Thurston of PC Gamer gave it 75 out of 100 and said, quote, Tomb Raider is frequently very enjoyable. I had a fine time. My problem with it is that I came in willing to have other, less fine kinds of time. I was willing to feel hounded, frozen and wounded in sympathy with its protagonist. Tomb Raider is never challenging, either emotionally or in what it asks you to do. It gestures at being something deeper, but I don't think you can simply tell the player what to feel. I wanted to participate in Lara's journey, but in the end, I just held the button down and tried not to ruin it. And finally, Keza McDonald of IGN gave Tomb Raider 9.1 out of 10 and said, quote, Tomb Raider is well-written, sympathetic, exciting, beautiful, and just incredibly well-made. The single player rarely makes a misstep, and though Lara's quick transformation into a hardened killer seems at odds with the narrative at first, the game quickly moves past it. But, lads, none of those opinions matter. No, no, no. The only opinions that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Tomb Raider. So how this works is that each of us will give Tomb Raider a rating. That rating is either a pass, a play or an espionage explosion. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. Give it a number out of three. All right? That's what it is. <laughs> All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. Uh, we changed the order of badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. It is Adam Josh Cullum. So let's give our final ratings 
of Tomb Raider. Adam Carroll, take it away. Going into this, I was incredibly excited. Josh, you mentioned, I was like, mm. oh yeah, Tomb Raider, definitely up for revisiting this. Couldn't remember much of it. And I was surprised by how it was in the end. I, 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 I really, I really am looking forward to seeing what ride's going to be like when I return to that. But saying that, and even seeing these reviews here that we just, that Colin just read out there, mm. kind of blows my mind. Kind of blows my mind what people are saying about it. And I feel, is this, is this what it was like at 2013? Is this how I felt back then with the game? Because I do remember kind of going, that was good. That was really good. But I do remember liking Rise a lot more. Playing this now, it is a lot of things I just do not like. And this game is very playable. It, it, it really is. But if someone's going to say to me, should I play Tomb Raider right now? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it's a pass. I think there's just there's just better games that do this kind of thing, such as Uncharted. But deep down, it's if this was the new, that being the new process of what they think Lara Croft is supposed to go, it's absolutely not. It, this is not where it, it, I want it at all, which is why I'm so excited to go into Rise and Shadow and see how they go about that from there on, because no, nah, it's it's... It's just, it's just, it's just fine. It's just fine. Josh Wise, what say you? I'm going to say it's play because... What? After everything you've said? Yeah, only because, because I, if you're a Tomb Raider fan, or, or, or it's one of the biggest series in games, and I sort of thought I would interpret the past play espionage explosion thing just, just from a kind of... If someone said, should I play Tomb Raider 2013? The answer for me has to be yes, it must be played. I mean, uh, it, yes, yes, I have complained about it. And that's why I think it must be played. It is important. You know, this is one of gaming's biggest series. It's a, it's a, a huge deal, you know, back, back, back in the day. It's had massive impact. And, and, and it's, been, it's been 10 years now uh, that we've just been without that we've had something that has the name Tomb Raider and just does not deliver. And this is where that started. And I think you can see what they were trying to do. And if you squint a little bit, you can sort of think that, okay, that is an interesting thing, but you're right. I know it seems bonkers. I'm, I'm saying it's a play. I, I know what you mean, but I do think it needs to be played. I think it needs to be played and needs to be understood. If, if for no other reason than the fact that we need to sort of, to, to take stock of it and go, yeah, actually, we should make something that's Tomb Raider again. Column. It's a pass. So that <laughs> is what we thought of <laughs> Tomb Raider. And uh, yeah, we got to put that to the back of our minds now. Uh, forget about Tomb Raider because we need to turn our attention to what we're going to be playing for the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Because on the next episode, we're going to be looking at a game that had Jeff Gersman of GameSpot saying, quote, this game stands as more of a work of art than as an actual game. It's definitely worth purchasing, but don't be surprised if you suddenly get extremely angry when you finish the game the day after you brought it home. Randy Nelson of IGN called it, quote, beautiful, engrossing and innovative. It excels in every conceivable category. And Major Mike of GamePro said, quote, this is this season's top offering that no self-respecting gamer should be without. Back once again we go to the year of stealth, 1998. 
Lads, on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we are going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Metal Gear Solid. The hits keep on coming here on Stealth Boom Boom. Blockbuster season. I feel like, I, I, I don't even need to ask this, but you know, I always do, so I will. Josh Wise, you have played Metal Gear Solid previously. I have played it a- a- absolutely bloody loads. Adam Carroll, you also have played Metal Gear Solid. I've played Metal Gear Solid, yes. I too have played Metal Gear Solid. So, 25 years later, although technically I think it was 99 it came out for us. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it's typically seen as a game that come that has come out in 1998, the year of stealth. Thus, that is what we are going with. So get that played and then come back to us in two weeks' time and we are going to talk about it for Christ knows how long. <laughs> but yes, that just about does it for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, you can subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all your podcasting apps, including but not limited to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pocket Casts, etc., etc. Just search for Stealth Boom Boom on your podcast app of choice and you'll find us there. Also, please do rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Five stars and nice words, please. (laughs) Thank you very much. You can also find Stealth Boom Boom on social media. We are at Stealth Boom Boom. And we are all also on social media. I am at Colum underscore Ahern. Adam is at Adam Zokes. And Josh is at Joshy wise but now it's time for my least favorite part of the show this is the part of the show where we must bid the listener adieu so say goodbye josh wise bye say goodbye adam carroll goodbye and say goodbye colin mahern sloan guffold <laughs>